I'll call the meeting to order on March 13th. Roll call, please. Councilmember Duran? Here. Councilmember McReynolds? Here. Councilmember Johnson? Here. Councilmember Halter? Here. Councilmember Campos? Here. Deputy Mayor Sanchez Palacios? Here. And Mayor Schrader? Here. Seven members present. We do have a quorum. Councilmember Campos, would you like to lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance? Yes. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Public communications, no, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Special presentations and announcements, it is uh, an honor for me to introduce Dr. Antonio Castro uh, from Ventura Unified School District. Dr. Castro. Thank you, Mayor Schrader, Council Members, City Staff. Uh, it is an honor to be standing here this evening representing the Ventura Unified School District as superintendent. As this is my first opportunity to address the city council and staff, I would like to share a little bit about my background and why I'm so proud to work in Ventura. My family has deep roots in Ventura County and in Moore Park specifically. A quick case in point, four generations of family members are Moore Park High School graduates. Both of my parents were public school teachers and went on to become small business owners operating a preschool and after-school childcare center for 28 years. I met my future wife in middle school, and we married after I graduated from college. Prior to joining VUSD in April of 2021 as the Assistant Superintendent of Educational Services, I served as the Ventura County Office of Education, Associate Superintendent of Ed Services for five years. Before that, I served Conejo Valley Unified School District for 10 years, starting as a special education coordinator, then assistant principal, principal, then finishing off as the director of student support services and director of special education. But I began my career as a paraprofessional before moving on to become a high school history teacher and a special education teacher. For 13 years, I served as an adjunct faculty member in the Graduate School of Education at California Lutheran University. And my community service roles in include uh, roles as board of directors for the United Way, the Moorpark College Foundation, AYSO, and nonprofits focused on poverty alleviation and food insecurity. Two years ago, I was fortunate to be elected to the Moorpark City Council representing the downtown area. These facets of my upbringing, my passions, and my commitment are why I feel so drawn to Ventura. The richness of this city's history, the families whose roots go back multiple generations, and the deep sense of pride and affinity for the schools they attended resonate with me deeply. Effective and long-standing partnerships are often the result of relationships founded on interdependence. And as such, it's my pleasure to share about some of the highlights of our collaboration. On behalf of the Board of Education and our staff, I would like to thank Chief Schindler, Sergeant Munger, and our school resource officers, one of whom may be in uh, the building today. Uh, for the very personal and highly professional working relationship. 
Our schools and therefore our students, our families and staff are safer because of their work ethic, compassion and connections that they demonstrate on a daily basis. Our school and district personnel repeatedly laud their accessibility, our adherence to processes and protocols and effective communications. And on the topic of effective communications, this includes our partnership with CAPS Media, which allows our streaming ability to expand access to district meetings, highlights, and events like graduations and others. City program staff continue to be impactful partners supporting our district's ability to build upon and improve our after-school programs. Many of you are probably not aware that your staff coordinated enrichment opportunities with us during the 21-22 school year for our Title I elementary schools. If you recall, we were all experiencing COVID-related restrictions, yet your staff were committed to supporting our most in-need students to have access and exposure to a variety of enrichment activities even during the school day. Like other districts in California, VUSD is in the process of dramatically expanding the scope and scale of our before and after school programs. This initiative is referred to as the ELOP, the Expanded Learning Opportunity Program. In addition to utilizing this expansion of the school day to provide movement and enrichment, we're committed to aligning instructional practices and professional development for ELOP personnel to reinforce our commitment to literacy in particular, which is an identified board priority and LCAP, Local Control and Ability, uh, Accountability Plan priority. And here again, the presence of our SROs in our after-school programs, playing with children and forming trusting relationships is an incalculable asset. Ventura Unified, however, is also facing challenges, namely acute declining enrollment and chronic absenteeism. You may be aware that Ventura County is second to only Los Angeles County in the rate of declining enrollment. This regional demographic and economic shift continue to impact our schools and our broader community. Our board and staff remain committed to offering a robust array of learning experiences for every child, specifically in elective offerings. For example, our music programs continue to earn accolades at regional and local competitions. I would like to finish my um, address to close on a point of pride. Uh, very recently, this weekend in fact, uh, this, our, our Buena High School boys varsity basketball team uh, competed for the Division Three state championship uh, following a feat, I believe, uh, according to my sources, uh, last accomplished by the 1983 and 84 Buena High School girls basketball team. Um, and so with that, I would like to offer my appreciation for the opportunity to join you this evening, and I look forward to working and growing with you in service to our community. Thank you. Dr. Castro, thank you so much. And it's our intention to bring in the Buena basketball team in the city council either next week or the week following. So um, we'd like to have you here again if uh, you have the time when we bring in the, the team. I would appreciate that. That'd okay. be wonderful. Thank you. And thank you for having them. Thanks. Thank you. Ms. Mr. Mayor, if I may make a comment? Please. Thank you. I, you know, I, I, uh, I taught once upon a time ago. I still have my teacher credential. It's, um, and and I have the pleasure of serving on the, the council's liaison committee with the school district and the council, and I'm also now the chair of the declining enrollment committee for the district. And I remember it was six years ago during a campaign when I was pressing some of the candidates, some of the incumbents, 
about how to fix the relationship between the district and the, and the city. Six years ago, um, the liaison committee just never met. They're just, people just weren't talking. And I have had the great pleasure of getting to know Dr. Castro and working with him. And um, the, the turnaround that we have seen in that relationship is just remarkable. And so I really appreciate having him tonight and I look forward to working with him. We, you know, there are things that, and I, I'll talk about a little bit of in my council comments, places where there are so many places where this, the city and the school district overlap. Um, the declining enrollment is huge, um, but also, and I'll talk about this tonight, issues around policing around the campuses. Um, and then, of course, I'll just, I'll just point this out for everybody as we talk about it, the, the future of transportation in the city, because I think everybody knows when school is not in session because there's a whole lot less traffic. <laughs> but, but thank you so much for being here, Dr. Castro. Uh, it's been wonderful working with you, and I look forward to continuing to work with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Closed session report, Mr. City Attorney. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, we did have closed session on the items listed in the agenda. And there was no reportable action. Thank you. City Council communications. Councilmember Johnson. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you. Here is a list of my upcoming community events. Uh, Tuesday the 14th, that would be tomorrow. I'll be at Duke's on Seaward from 7 to 8 p.m. Uh, the focus on that one's gonna be the ethics, accountability, and transparency in, in Ventura local government. On Saturday, at, I'll be at Palermo on Main, I'm sorry, Palermo Cafe on Main, downtown, at noon to talk about the future of Wallace Street. As I've mentioned, I believe before, I am uh, part of the Champions Institute, and what that includes is assistance in, in coming up with a project and finding funding for it. I know that Olive Street is part of the active transportation plan and I think when I look at Olive Street I see, I see great things that we could do. The point of it is not for me to decide but really for the people of the west side to decide. And so we'll be having discussions about that. This first one will just be informal over coffee. On Thursday the 23rd, this is exciting. This is the, the, the gas station at Main and Mills. It was supposed to take a couple months, but it took over a year for them to be able to reopen. It's a family-owned business, and uh, it's, I've enjoyed working with them as they, as they get to everything. So I'll be there for the ribbon cutting at the mobile gas at 10.30 a.m. I think tomorrow the station will actually be open for business. On Friday, March 24th from 9.30 to 10.30, we'll do breakfast at La Paria in the Ashwoods Shopping Center. The topic on this, and I know certainly it's, it's um, been an issue. There's a, a, about 15 people have sent me uh, summaries of what's going on on next door, where people are furious about the state of uh, streets and potholes. But so that will be the topic. I, if anybody has an opinion on streets or potholes, I encourage you to come. Uh, as I do with these things, if you ride the bus or walk, I will buy you, I think at La Paria, I will buy you uh, hash browns. And then Thursday, March 30th at 2.30 p.m., I'll just be at the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf on Victoria. 
And if we could go to the next slide, please. Here's my report on external committees. The Ventura County Transportation Commission, we just went through our annual goal setting meeting. Uh, you know, it's, it's critical to understand that, that with the big swing from having a state surplus to a $22 billion deficit that the governor's plan so far um, takes a lot of money out of grants for, for transportation and transit. And so that is clearly a topic of conversation at VCTC. Uh, it is, of course, statewide. The school board liaison, I mentioned this. Um, one thing that, it, that has come up over and over and over again is, you know, is there a way to have increased public use of school facilities, especially as we look at having our parks and being unable to really fund to keep them maintained at the level that people deserve and, and expect. Um, but it was an interesting conversation because what, what's happening in schools all across the country is hardening. And really, parents want to make sure that uh, nobody's on campus unless they're a student or staff or teacher or parent that has checked in at the door. And so that is the direction that our district is, is heading as well. And this ties into something that Dr. Castro brought up, which was that recently there were three troubling incidents with vagrants, uh, two of them on campus, one right outside of campus. There's no easy solution to this, um, but this is a perfect example, I think, of why it's so important to have this liaison committee. And then finally, VCOG, I have the honor of serving as this council's representative on the Ventura Council of Governments. It was fascinating. We had a presentation by the Ventura County Air Pollution Control District, and a lot of it was uh, self-congratulatory because we have made tremendous gains in air quality. Um, but one of the interesting things we were talking about was, was near roadway air pollution. I've talked about this myself. You know, if we went all electric and reduced tailpipe emissions, uh, your Tesla is still throwing off brake dust and tire dust, and some of it is what we call PM 2.5, part particulate matter that is less than 2.5 microns in diameter, and that poses a serious health concern. Um, I bring this up because uh, we look at developments, for example, along the 101, and this is something we need to consider. Uh, Carrie Brogy from Fillmore was talking about how they have a project, and it's 100% affordable, and because it's 100% affordable and it's on a residentially zoned parcel, uh, it can be built uh, through, a, through an administrative process. And even if there are questions about air quality, CEQA does not apply because it's uh, an SB35 project. And so I hope that as, we, as our general plan works through the system that we, we make some, pay some attention to, to those issues. And that concludes my report on the external committees. Thank you, Mayor, for the opportunity. Thanks. Uh, Deputy Mayor Sanchez-Pasios. Thank you, and good evening. I just um, I wanted to start off real quick that uh, last week I was able to participate in the Read Across America over at Lincoln Elementary I'll School. Well, I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> um, and that was really great to, to do. And so I just thank everyone for organizing and getting the kiddos together. It was fun to read to three different levels of um, school kids, uh, from the little, little ones all the way to the fifth graders. And uh, just I had a really good time. 
so thank you for that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to do, acknowledging that uh, the month of March is International Women's Month, I wanted to acknowledge uh, a local uh, coach. Her name is Tabitha Ritchie, um, and she trains uh, over at Paragon in Ventura and also at Knuckleheads gyms. Uh, and recently, March 4th, she had uh, a pretty significant win in Vegas and just wanted to highlight her as a woman uh, during Women's Month so that, uh, you know, people can see that we have local champs here and she's making an impact in our youth. Uh, my son actually goes to that gym and so we were all watching the UFC fight <laughs> um, and I would not want to be her opponent. So <laughs> wanted just to say uh, congratulations to her, give her a good shout out and she's doing some good work with our youth in the gym. So thank you for that. Um, and that was it, thanks. Councilmember McReynolds. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, <clears throat> really quick, so I had an opportunity to speak at uh, Ventura County, Ventura, Ventura City College uh, government course, uh, Stephen Syker's class, and uh, thought that was a really interesting comment that we had about uh, the potential of moving city council meetings around the city. Uh, so it's, it's something I'd like to look at, you know, if we could over maybe the summer months or something like that. So, uh, but I just wanted a shout out to the student who, you know, came up and asked that question. So uh, attended with uh, the deputy mayor, the uh, community development coffee chat uh, at Simone's on the uh, East Ventura. So it was really well attended. Uh, so I wanna thank community development and uh, staff for doing that. Uh, Mr. Mayor, you allowed me the honor of riding in the St. Patrick's Day Parade with you. So I just wanted to say thanks for that. Uh, General Plan Advisory Committee. So we have a meeting coming up on next uh, Tuesday, the 21st. Uh, we're gonna be discussing the downtown. So we've already gone through land use alternatives for, can't read my own writing, uh, Victoria Corridor, Pierpont, the college area, Johnson Drive, East Ventura and the West Side. So I encourage everybody to come out um, on the 21st. Uh, we will be discussing downtown. And then uh, this week I'll be attending the League of California Cities legislative briefing um, on the 15th. And then we have uh, FAB on the 16th. So thank you. Thank you, Councilmember Halter. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, uh, Councilmember McReynolds beat me to the punch, but uh, last week on General Plan, we had a marathon event on Monday and Tuesday night uh, going over the west side, east side, college area, uh, Johnson Drive. We're going area by area across the city, and I think it's working pretty good. So I'm really excited to see the input. I'm see, excited to see us making progress on land use planning. And as you mentioned, I think it's our 22nd meeting, 21st meeting, last count. Um, on Tuesday night, and we will be discussing downtown. We did discuss Westside uh, at length last week as well, and I, I know that Councilmember Kempos was there as well. Um, but I wanted to uh, mention, I hope that this doesn't become a habit this year, but you know, you live long enough, you meet some really extraordinary people. And um, there's two people I like to close tonight's meeting in honor of. Um, and one of them is Lori Flack. I wanted to first say Lori Flack because Lori Flack is somebody that was very, very involved with the West Side Community Council for many years, and also on our, on our planning commission, commission for many years. And you know, there's some people that you think of, when you think of Ventura, that just makes you smile because they're such vivacious, lively people. And she unfortunately passed away just recently, a few, a few weeks ago. And uh, uh, one that really took our breath away, literally, was Patty Channer. Patty Channer passed away last week. And uh, she's somebody, she was a woman of Julia, uh, which is 
a nonprofit of women that they, fund, they fundraise for all different kinds of causes. They've been on many national and international TV talk shows talking about what they've done. And I think there was even a movie that was supposed to be coming out about them. But she was quite an amazing person. She never lost her New York accent, but honestly, it's hard to find, it would be hard to find anybody more passionate about Ventura than Patty, Patty Channer. So um, with that, these, I'd like to close tonight's meeting and honor both of these extraordinary women. Thank you. Councilmember Campos. I think I have a I have slide. First off tonight, I want to acknowledge that we're on unceded Shumash land and remind everybody in our community that the people who originated here and have been here for 10,000 years had a wonderful regard and respect for the environment, particularly trees. Trees for them are ancestors. I spent the last couple of weeks at the behest of the head of the Air Pollution Control District reading a study about air pollution to get to know more in detail how much our Air Pollution Control District has accomplished over the last 20 years, but also what's ahead of us. As Councilmember Johnson mentioned, the, the particulate matter that's kicked up off our highways in dust and agricultural dust and city streets and what blows off our hills in the winds we have really affect us and affect our lungs. So why I want to mention the study is that it concluded that the best effort to mitigate all pollutions, pesticides, burning of fossil fuels, dust, or other aggregates that pollute our lungs, is trees. One tree will give 10 humans 60 years of air by the way it captures and digests carbon. So more trees are very beneficial to us. So I want to encourage people to plant trees. It's not a radical suggestion, and it's not costly. It doesn't take away jobs or adversely affect the local economy. But trees save lives, and they will eventually save our planet and make it easier for us to breathe. I also say this because many of my meetings that I've had with the youngest residents of our county, their biggest concern is global climate change. And they're sometimes depressed or, or agitated or unhappy because they see our generation as not caring. So if we start planting trees for them, because a tree we plant today isn't really going to be benefit us for many years. That will give hope to our children and our grandchildren and the next generations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Duran. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I appreciate it. I, I wanted to let everyone know that the next Economic Development Subcommittee meeting will take place Tuesday the 21st at 4 p.m. in the Santa Cruz Room. And there's going to be two updates that are very important. There will be uh, one on Main Street moves and the progress being made with the studies and design guidelines. And I think that's going to be, I can't wait to 
to see that. And then it's going to be followed by an update on the economic development strategy and what to look forward to with the kickoff of the public process. So that's going to be on the 21st. I also, one last thing I wanted to share is that I wanted to say thank you to um, our team, Leona Rollins and, and the team that they've done such an amazing job with the foul weather shelter. Our, the foul weather, we, we've obviously have seen more rain than we've seen in such a long, long time. And um, we've already activated that shelter 18 nights, which is pretty amazing, being able to shelter 187 people, which has been incredible. We've given out, to those that don't qualify for the, for the rooms, we've given out 125 stay warm packs, and those are sleeping bags and blankets, wool blankets, and beanies and hand warmers and socks and sweats, and they're, they're gonna stay warm. And um, we've also had, um, over a thousand meals provided through this by volunteers and almost 300 volunteers to help out at this foul weather shelter. Um, the last time we activated, just this last week, Lori Ninchef um, provided all the meals to the people that stayed in the hotels and um, the River Community Church gave the meals out to people who did not get a room. Um, tomorrow we are activating, so if anybody is interested in volunteering, you can go to the website and sign up to volunteer. Um, Orchard Community Church, want to say thank you to them. They're providing all the meals to those that are staying in the motels. And Water's Edge Restaurant is actually providing all the meals for the people that will not be able to get a room and they get a stay warm pack. So once again, great job to Leona Rollins and her team. And um, I just want to say thank you to all the volunteers and everyone who makes this possible. Thank you. Thank you. Um, finally, I got to ride on a bus with the council member McReynolds. That was that was fun, and I think behind us in a bus was Councilmember Duran, so um, I know you would be very happy with that, Councilmember Johnson. He took the bus and we took the fire uh, engine. So um, I visited the Bulldog Gym um, before they left for Sacramento. Maybe I shouldn't have done that because they were on a hot streak and uh, we'll have their team in next week, but the coach asked me to say something inspirational to him. And unfortunately, I didn't say the right thing, but uh, they had a heck of a season. I'm really proud of them. I think the whole city is. And I just want to give a hats off to the Ventura Yacht Club he is celebrating their 85th anniversary. Okay, um, Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, excuse me. Uh, tonight, I got a few announcements. Thank you, Mr. Clerk, for pulling that up. If I look a little bit more relaxed, it's uh, because help has arrived. I want to introduce uh, Mr. Brick Connors. Brick, if you'll come up to the uh, speaker's podium here and introduce yourself. Uh, Brick is joining us as the new interim assistant city manager. Honorable Mayor, Deputy Mayor, City Council staff, it is my sincere pleasure to serve this great and historic city and to be part of the team that advances your vision, goals, and objectives and I get the exciting opportunity to work with a very talented, professional, and dedicated staff. Um, I have an interesting background, as, as some of you already probably know, but it includes um, a, a business background, advanced manufacturing, and aerospace, um, and all the way to running a large, complex uh, military base, as well as running a, a full-service city. I look forward to contributing uh, those experiences in support of your agenda, and uh, let's get the city business. Thank you, Brick. Uh, continue on with our other announcements. Uh, we have a general plan advisory committee on Tuesday, March 21st at 6 p.m. That'll be right after that ED subcommittee meeting that Councilmember Duran just mentioned. And that's right here in City Hall in the community meeting room. 
Clean California Community Days events. Uh, we're doing this in partnership with Caltrans. So there'll be two events, uh, one at Cornucopia Community Garden on Wednesday the 22nd from 9 to 12, and then another one at the Promenade uh, Beach Cleanup event on Saturday the 25th from 9 to 11 a.m. Next, I want to make the community aware of a cultural funding grant program. And the city has done this in the past where we award about $90,000 in annual support to Ventura-based nonprofits, arts, and cultural organizations. Uh, your, the deadline to apply for that program is March 28th. You can learn more at cityventura.ca.gov forward slash grants. Uh, we have two meetings coming up later this month. It'll be a busy month of March. Uh, we have a uh, city council workshop scheduled for March 20th. There'll be four items as part of that workshop. And then we have a regular business meeting on March 27th right here in the chambers again. Again, another busy city council meeting. There's one last comment I want to make uh, before I wrap up my comments, and that's just a, a thank you to the, the clerk's office and to uh, city staff who uh, are charged with authoring our staff reports and getting those out the door for uh, the public's benefit as well as the council's consumption. Uh, many of you are aware that we published our agenda a week out. We had that out on Monday. That's going to be the plan going forward. Uh, it, it's a heavy lift, but one that we're up for. So thank you to the council for allowing us to serve in that manner. That's it. Thank you. City Clerk, any comments received by email, public comments? Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, we did receive several comments via email. Those have been posted in the supplemental packet. In terms of speakers this evening, we do have five speaker cards submitted for public communications. Our first speaker is Laura Kinney. Laura Kinney will be followed by Judy Hauer. Thank you very much for the opportunity. My name is Laura Kinney. I'm a 30-year Ventura resident, and I own a short-term uh, rental in Pierpont. I want to talk tonight about unlicensed rentals, their impact, and a practical, practical solution to deal with them. If you search online through the many vacation rental portals and websites these days, you can find several short-term rentals operating in Ventura that don't have a license. Illegal rentals can be uncovered by comparing the property address to the list of licensed short-term rentals posted in the city's website. It can be tricky and take some time digging, but you can find the illegal rentals. There are many ramifications caused by the illegal rentals. First, illegal rentals don't pay TOT or transitory occupancy tax. Second, illegal rentals are not bound by any of the rules of insurance ordinance, such as occupancy limits, noise limits, minimum lengths of stay, things like that. Last, there's a lot of talk about revising the ordinance to include a means of limiting the number of short-term rentals in Ventura, either by neighborhood, um, distance between them, various different methodologies. It's a complicated issue. It has strong opinions on both sides, and it will take a lot of work to both define and implement any of those kinds of changes. However, that effort is worthless if we don't shut down the illegal rentals. They won't be bound by any of those rules. There's some new internet-based companies who do an excellent job scouring daily the various um, short-term rental websites to uncover illegal short-term rentals. I believe some city staff members saw an impressive demonstration of this type several months ago, and I personally saw a demonstration and was frankly blown away by how effective the software was. 
the price for that service, as quoted to me, you know, without any details, was about $10,000 a year. I believe that price is far lower than we pay the company the city is currently using to help manage rentals. And our current company appears to be quite ineffective. So to close, I just want to make a plug for the city to hire a less expensive and more effective company that will have a real impact, an immediate impact, on eliminating illegal short-term rentals. I think everyone on both sides of the short-term rental issue would agree with this, and it could have an immediate and tangible positive impact for everybody. Thank you. Our next speaker is Judy Hauer. Judy will be followed by Terry Foley. Uh, I think my, oh, there we go. Uh, good evening, everybody. It's great to see you here. Um, I just wanted to start out by saying uh, this is an expression. I want the audience maybe to see, but anyway, it's an, it's an expression of we're celebrating a thousand days. Now, we, we made it through that pandemic. It's maybe not totally over, but it's amazing what can happen in a thousand days. So I wanted to bring something to your attention. To your attention. Um, we're here tonight because our democratic system elected you, the city council, to represent the people. And I think many locals have a sense that there's too much building that is taken away from their sense of community. But I think tonight I can offer you something to use with your constituents that could make this city cleaner, safer and a positive approach to our problems with global warming. Um, let me just see here if I can read this, I'll be less nervous. I believe we need to be part of a federal assistance program to electrify America. The good news is that there are now federal programs to fund changes in our homes and businesses to make us safer, healthier and cleaner. Key programs in the Inflation Reduction Act offer large rebates that can be funded to low and moderate income households to go electric. Uh, some of the things I picked up on, and I just read this today, by the way, so I'm very um, scant in, in my understanding of everything, but it says here households could receive up to 1750 700 I'm sorry $1750 for a heat pump water heater that that's not using gas that's great Oh, am I learning out of time? Okay, $840 for an electric stove. Making changes also involves local tradespeople. So I, I urge you to look at what is available to us through the Inflation Reduction Act. Give us a chance to see government is here to help. Thank you so much. Our next speaker is Terry Foley, followed by Spencer Norin. Good evening, uh, I'm Terry Foley speaking on behalf of the Pierpont Bay Community Council Executive Board with two brief items. Number one was thanks to the City of Ventura for working with, uh, with, the, with the state for the cleanup of Pierpont Beach. After all the wind and the rain and the, and the high surf and the, and the high tides, the king tides that we've had lately, uh, the Pierpont Beach was a real mess and, and the city, between the city Public Works, Street Department, and the, uh, the state. So that, it's a whole different world down there now. It was dangerous. It, it's still a little bit, you gotta be careful, but it's so much better than it was. So thank you very much for the city for all the effort that went into that. 
And then the second thing is to thank uh, Interim City Manager Akbar Ali Khan, Mayor Joe Schroeder, and the legal department, Andy Hagland and Monica De La Hoya, for moving toward the arrangements with Dave Sapos to navigate the update of the short-term vacation rental ordinance. And so as a 2023 city goal, uh, this is the easiest of the 2023 goals, and we expect it will go quickly once it's started. So we look forward to that. Thank you very much. Our next speaker is Spencer Noren, followed by Roy Foster. Thank you, Michael. Good evening, Mayor, Council, City Manager, most importantly residents, VPD as always. Good to see everybody tonight. I want to start off by saying I'm the current PTO president at the Cabrillo Middle School. So if you have questions about anything at the current situation, give me a holler. It was great to see Dr. Castro in here tonight sharing about our schools. I want to add a little extra shout out to Cabrillo Middle School and their float in the parade. I heard they did a great job and Mr. Bocali continues to do a great job with the band there. Also, if you talk about Balboa Hoops, I don't want to continue that story, but great job, Buena. Also, a shout out to St. Bonaventure. They lost two championship games as well. Mr. McReynolds, I know you're highly on that bandwagon this year, so good job, Serups. I want to just quickly take a quick little note of things on my mind, starting off by Mrs. Campos, Councilmember Campos, and your pledge to urban forestry during your opening comments. It means a lot that you're starting to recognize, understanding the improvements and that we need to make in our capital improvement process. Really putting that in the budget moving forward is so important. Tonight, we can look forward to our next four years of capital improvement projects, or parks, medians, are the only item that don't move past the four-year budget. Look at the item right now. It's the first two years only. Look at wastewater. Look at our other necessities. It goes in those four years. Look at those other things. Parks, medians are not there, along with urban forestry. Thank you, Councilmember Campos, for bringing that up. Councilmember Durant, I want to really say thank you so much for getting on top of the La Quinta project with the Housing Authority and the updated process that we're having the accountability. We're not going to be a town that just does a lack of accountability to provide services. You look into that, they gave you a tour of that property. Thank you for checking back with the community. It means the world that you're on top of that. Forecasting these situations that we know could have been there, working with VPD and looking at really stopping what is a problem with crime. Johnson, Mr. Johnson talked about it with the school systems. There's a criminal activity along Victoria Avenue because of the jail system, because of the railway. We call it criminal highway. Look at the tendency of crime along that way. It's very high. It's a very big interest of our community. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. Um, just want to wrap up on capital improvements again. Please check that out. Also on our agenda tonight, I want to speak in favor of item number 15 for the fire department. Look forward to that grant policy going forward, speaking very highly of our fire department. Thank you so much. And our next speaker is Roy Foster, followed by Glenn Overly. Hello, my name's Roy Foster. I've been in Ventura my whole life. Um, I want to address what I see every day. Um, this isn't on the agenda. This is what I see every day. The amount of homeless people on the streets affects me, especially when the rain is coming down and I see them soak from head to toe. This is something that should not happen. This has been going on much too long. I kudos to Jim Duran and every church that steps up 
And I don't know why it's fallen on the faith-based community when the rents are so astronomically high in Ventura, California. I was born in Ojai. I've been in Ventura my whole life. I know no other town. I would refuse to move because of the astronomical rent in this town. I spent a little shy of three years rebuilding city center every day of three years. I didn't have a day off. I didn't, uh, sometimes I didn't even go to church, you know, because that was very important, very, very important to me. Thank you, Jim, for what you do there. And Tender Life, too. Kudos. I am at my wit's end. I am. <laughs> to see people dying on the streets because they have no shelter. They can't afford to live here. These are half the people I talk to. I've been raised here in Ventura. I don't know what to do. I receive sleeping bags from all my friends. I go out at least once a day to go find somebody who needs a sleeping bag. And all I want to do is end this. So I brought a few of these papers of what I'm working on now. All the churches have donated this to this program. It's called the Senior Move-In Project. We go in when they're when they get the approved for housing, and we go in and we furnish their whole apartment, and they get to pick out what has been donated. We have four storages. What I want to see is another warming shelter where these people can stay in a, inside with a heater, dry. Next year, we need a warming shelter, period. I mean, being kicked out at night in the freezing cold is unacceptable. And I'm sorry that I have to come up here once again and say this, because I love the homeless. I was homeless for 15 years at least, and now I'm indoors for my eighth year. This has to stop. Please, thank you very much for your time. Our next and final speaker is Glenn Overly. Glenn, we're bringing you over now. You should be able to unmute yourself. Thank you, Michael. Can you hear me? We can, yes. Good evening, Council. Tonight I speak in opposition of the existing protocol related to the time limits for public comments at the beginning of the first meeting of each month based upon the number of speakers. It's not uncommon for protocols to change from time to time based upon the circumstances. Think about these recent circumstances. When a father was stabbed to death at a local steakhouse, the citizens rallied and marched up California to provide their public comments, which lasted longer than 30 minutes. In District 1, the compressor station created a real-time health concern for the nearby residents. Multiple citizens provided public comments that exceeded the 30-minute time frame. In the past, citizens have provided public comments highlighting the misuse of public funds, extravagant meals purchases, and even identified the Brown Act violations. Our city has had multiple situations where citizens provided public comments that helped shape the conduct of our city government. To limit public comment timeframes related to the number of speakers at the beginning of the first meeting of the month will erode the foundation of public access to our local government. 
I am certain this is not the intent of our elected officials. Additionally, keep in mind that our city has established a Spanish interpretation program to allow many more Ventura residents to access and participate in public meetings in another language. Spanish speakers require six minutes for a three-minute speech. As a concerned citizen, I often participate in the public comment forum, highlighting issues that may not be on city council's radar. I, like many citizens, choose my words carefully after researching what I comment upon. To take a prepared three-minute talk and last minute, based upon the number of speakers, cut it down to two minutes or a minute and a half is unreasonable. At some point, any public comment will lose enough content that citizens are just consuming time without delivering an understandable, cogent message. There are many options available to our city. We can schedule more meetings per month. We can limit formal items on the first meeting of the month to allow for more public input time. We can increase the time limits for public input to 45 minutes or even an hour. I ask council to properly agendize a meeting where the protocol related to the public comments at the first meeting of the month can be publicly discussed. Allow citizens the opportunity to weigh in on the subject and also hear how our elected officials position on this issue before the next election cycle. Thank you very much for your time. And Mr. Mayor, that concludes public comment uh, under the public communications. Um, thank you, Mr. City Manager. Any comments or follow-up? No follow-up. Mr. City Clerk, we've got 10 consent items. Um, do we have any comments or any email that have been received? Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. We did receive communications via email. Those have been posted in the supplemental packet, and I have no uh, public speaker cards on consent items this evening. Okay, that being said, do we have items that need to be pulled? Councilmember Johnson. Thank you, Mayor. I have comments on item nine, and I would like to pull item number 10. Thank you. Pull 10 and comments on nine. Okay. Anybody else? Mr. McReynolds, I see you reaching. To approve items one through eight. Okay, do I have a second? Second. Any questions? We'll call, we'll just for clarification, uh, item number nine was for comments only. Was that right, Council Member Johnson? No. Yes, that was correct. Then we'll, let's do comments. So uh, the, the motion that was made for items uh, one, and, one through eight, did you want to take nine and 10 separately? If we can do comments and then we'll just vote on one through nine. Okay, I'm okay with that. Any objections? Okay, we'll do comments and then we'll go from, instead of one to eight, you want to do one through nine? Okay, is that good? Council Member Johnson. Thank you, Mayor. I wanted to thank staff for, for bringing item nine to us. This is something that I've been talking about quite a bit, which is, um, you know, the importance of going through competitive bidding. But, but the water department, I think, has made a strong case for why um, things that once upon a time, there were multiple sources, other places you could get these parts. Um, the, the, the industry has essentially changed. And, and so it's reducing our ability to, to put things out to bid. And, and of course, there are all the supply chain issues. And so having this, I think, is, is a good step forward in terms of accountability and transparency. And so I just wanted to thank and congratulate staff for bringing this to us. 
Thank you. So, you, uh, Councilmember McReynolds, you'll accept uh, amended motion to include one through nine on your motion. Is the second okay with that yes. as well? Second is good. Okay, we do have a motion and a second to approve items one through nine. Go ahead and enter your your votes now. Okay, all votes have been entered. Seven ayes, and the motion carries. Councilmember Johnson, number 10. Thank you, Mayor, and for the benefit of everybody watching, this is the Professional Services Agreement number 2023-006, First Amendment with Water Systems Consulting for Strategic Communications, support for the Ventura Water Repair Program. I'm pleased to see Ms. Dorrington at the dais. Uh, my concerns, and I've expressed a number of these, I expressed a number, asked a number of questions three weeks ago, and I really appreciate the, the staff report that came with this, which answers a number of those questions, but I still have some questions that I'd, I'd like answers to. We're looking at a contract here, a total of $257,140, and Ms. Dorrington, was there an RFP, was there a competitive bidding process for this? Uh, yes, so in the original contract that was formed with uh, Ventura Water, that was an RFP process that went out. We interviewed uh, two different companies, and WSC was awarded the contract. Thank you, and well, I appreciate that. Um, okay, thank you. I could, that was a question I'd asked an email a while ago. Um, was when, when this was originally the $59,000 contract, um, was there really no intention of extending it to half a million dollars? Was, was the expectation really that the $59,000 contract would be completed and we would move on? The contract was turned over at that time to the Ventura Water Peer team and I left it to the program director to determine whether or not um, those services were needed and what form of contract. So while the Ventura Water Peer team got up to speed with um, all the tasks that were in that contract, and then they could make a determination if they wanted to continue on with WSC. Thank you, I have a, a question for the city attorney. As I understand it on these contracts, the city attests that it has no expectation that, that it's going to go beyond the original amount, is that correct? Mr. Mayor, Councilmember uh, Johnson, I'm not sure I understand your question. Are you asking if the, in approving a contract less than $60,000, if the staff is attesting that it doesn't intend to carry it over 60,000? Yes. I'm not aware of that requirement. Under the municipal code does give staff the authority to enter into contracts up to $60,000 without bringing them to city council. I'm not aware of any attestation statement. Thank you. Um, and then typically when it's over $60,000, it, it comes to council, is that correct? And that, that's correct, as required by the municipal code. Thank you. And then Ms. Dorrington, why, so, so there were, we issued an RFP and there were two respondents, is that correct? Correct. Um, why, may I ask why $59,000 was, was the original amount? Uh, 59,000 was not the original amount of the RFP contract awarded. That was, uh, I believe it's in your packet. Um, the 59,000 contract was for reducing the scope just to Ventura Water Pier uh, materials and tasks. I'm, I'm confused. 
what we're looking at here, it's a First Amendment for a contract adding $197,240 for a new contract total of $257,140. So the original contract was for $59,900, yes? So the, the original contract through the RFP process covered uh, state water rates and Ventura Water Pure. Uh, that was in 2019. In 2022, we had closed out the activities for state water and the rate study. So we then had leftover tasks for Ventura Water Pure. That remaining, that remaining amount was closed out on that full contract. And then the 59,000 contract was awarded for the Ventura Water Pure tasks. Thank you. So, so there was first a contract, and I believe that one was paid for out of the general fund? That no, was that was paid for Ventura Water Pure. I'm sorry, Ventura, but the Ventura Water Fund. Enterprise Fund. Right, right. the Operations Fund, Fund 50, 51, 52, which is a... Both. Okay. Um, so, so we had a contract with uh, this, this firm, and that contract ended, and you closed that out and rolled the money back into the Water Department's fund, yes? Correct. And what we're looking at here is a new contract out of wastewater CIP, is that correct? Water and wastewater CIP. Water and wastewater CIP. So was there an RFP for this contract? There was not an RFP for the 59,000, no. Thank you. I cannot support a no-bid contract that we're now looking at that's over a quarter of a million dollars. Um, Ms. Dorrington, I note that there was a Ventura Water employee that, that worked for from 2016 to 2021. Um, I certainly saw her at a lot of Water Commission meetings. I believe she worked on uh, public outreach, is that correct? You're referring to? I, I don't think we need to make, name people. Okay. Yes? All right, we have had several winter water employees that have worked through the communications and outreach program, yes. Thank you, and this person left the city in 2021 and is now working for this firm, is that correct? That's correct. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Dorrington. Um, my comments are simply, I, I, don't, I, I don't think it's appropriate for us to have a non-bid contract for a quarter of a million dollars, um, even if we started at $59,900. Um, Does a city attorney or city manager or Ms. Dorrington want to comment? I can provide some context. Uh, under our APNP uh, in the section dealing with the uh, requirements for an RFP, it does provide uh, the requirements for that. And when it's uh, strongly recommended, it does say that um, single source con consultant selection should be done when time is of the essence. If the required expertise is such that only one consultant in the region can provide the prospective services, and that those are your standard sole source sole source examples and then thirdly if a particular consultant would clearly be the most qualified and then it gives an example has already performed work for a previous previous phase of the project so in this particular case we would say that an rfp was not required for the ventura water pier because they were a part of the original scope the phase of ventura water was done and so we we were um, acting in accordance with the apmp in in not requiring a new rfp uh, for the um for the Ventura Water Pier piece. 
Uh, as far as the employee, there's nothing in the law that prohibits the city from entering or continuing to a contract with a, an, a company that employs former city employees, and as is um, being referred to in this case. Thank you. Thank Ms. you. Covington, anything else? Uh, yes, in the in the cases the city attorney alluded to, we have formed a very strong partnership with WSC. They have provided a lot of our materials and outreach on this project. Um, this is the, um, you know, it, we're going to be hearing about WIFIA here in a moment and alone, and this is one of the city's largest projects. And communication and outreach are important. Um, WSC provides uh, specialized um, outreach materials, and they also partner with other communities that are going through the same potable reuse projects that we are. So they provide a very valuable um, uh, partnership to the success of Ventura Water Pier. Thank you. Mr. Alicon, how many public information officers, community engagement specialists do we have in the city of Ventura? Uh, we have a communications manager supported by uh, four, I believe. Thank you. Um, I certainly take the point that we've worked with them in the past. I think the point of um, having a competitive bid process is to make sure that those cozy relationships aren't abused. And I don't know that there was anything untoward in this. I, I think what I see here is a drastically needed revision to our administrative policies and procedures. Um, I don't think that because we've done business with somebody in the past that we should continue to offer them no bid contracts. And again, we're talking about a quarter of a million dollars on marketing. Uh, on number nine, we were talking about single sources for very esoteric water equipment. Uh, this is marketing. And so with that, I will not be supporting this. Any other comments? I'll take a motion on item 10 if it's... So moved. Do I have a second? Second. Second. Comments? Vote, please. Okay, on item number 10. Go ahead and enter your vote now. Okay, all votes have been entered. Passes five to two. And five ayes, the motion carries. Thank you. On to a, pu a public hearing item number 11. Uh, Mr. City Clerk, if all the noticing requirements have been met, can you open up the public hearing? Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Yes, that item has been adequately noticed. Okay. Um, Mr. City Clerk, any comments received by email? Or are there any public comments? Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, we did not receive any communications, or excuse me, we did receive a communication via email. That's been posted in the supplemental. And we do have uh, one speaker uh, tonight as well. It's now the time to hear from that speaker? We would uh, have the staff presentation first. Okay. Welcome, staff. Enlighten us. Yes. Good evening, Honorable Mayor and City Council members. In the interest of time and the number of presentations scheduled for this evening, we will not be conducting a presentation on the draft Home Arp Allocation Plan. However, staff, including myself, Jenny Buckingham, Rochelle Bassetta, as well as our consultant, Stephanie Jennings of Cloudburst is available to answer any questions that you may have this evening. Thank you. City Council, questions on the allocation plan? 
Councilmember McReynolds. Yeah, is this gonna, just going to go to Hope's committee and then before it comes back up to us? No, um, this, uh, this item will not be going to a Hopes and Solutions subcommittee meeting. Um, it's important that we do um, review and approve the allocation plan as soon as possible because it is due to the housing, Department of Housing and Urban Development on or before March 31st of this year. Any other questions from City Council? Mayor? I see no questions. Mayor, uh, I'm on the queue here. Um, I was expecting a presentation where I normally make my notes, but I know we have at least one public speaker. I may have some comments or questions after we get okay. public comments. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so why don't we go to uh, public comments and then I'll come back to City Council. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. We have one speaker this evening, Scott McCarty. Scott, you'll have three minutes. Honorable Mayor and esteemed City Council members, <clears throat> I'm confused and concerned. On page 85 of the draft Home ARP allocation plan, in response to the prompt, describe whether the participating jurisdiction will administer eligible activities directly, the city's response is, quote, the city will not directly administer the Home ARP activities, end quote. However, just a couple of pages later, it is stated that Ventura plans to spend 85% of its home ARP allocation on affordable rental housing and the remaining 15% on administration and planning. Of the total home ARP allocation of $1.6 million, the 15% that will be withheld by the city amounts to nearly a quarter of a million dollars. However, I did not see any analysis as to how the city came to that figure. The city maintains that, quote, since the Home Art Program is a new source of federal funding with its own unique program requirements, the city has elected to allocate sufficient funds to build its own internal capacity to administer, monitor, and evaluate the program, end quote. To my layman's eyes, it seems that the city has simply chose 15% because it is the statutory limit that can be withheld from this grant for administration and planning. According to the city's analysis, the $1.3 million that will go directly to the development of affordable rental housing will fund the rehabilitation or production of about four affordable rental housing units. Four. My concern is this. If it truly costs the city a quarter of a million dollars to administer, monitor, and evaluate the production of four rental housing units, then we have a very wasteful planning and administration system. As stated in the plan, quote, the data from the needs assessment and gaps analysis indicates that there is a considerable need to develop additional affordable rental housing opportunities, end quote. I urge you to put your money where your mouth is. To best serve the qualifying populations in need of these funds, the amount of funding being allotted to them needs to be maximized. I fear that is not the case here. Please reject this inefficient funding allocation plan and demand a more exacting analysis of the administrative costs required to manage the city's home ARP grant. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, Mr. Mayor, we've just received one additional speaker card. Spencer Norin. Let it fly. Thank you, Mayor. Appreciate that. I just want to say one comment real fast. As we talk about moving forward with providing more affordable housing, 
temporary housing, permanent housing for homeless individuals, low income. Can we please look at our hotels and our motel situation? I think the state is putting plans up and down the state that really go into taking over old hotels that are dilapidated. We need all of our hotels. And I know the Coastal Commission takes part in that and it makes it a little more difficult to make that happen. But go on Thompson lately, I think it's White Castle. It's been empty the last two months. And we're I think I just heard locally, maybe a Motel 6 is gonna be accepting more vouchers. I just want to just make the council totally aware when we're doing this, can we build new housing or can we convert some of our old industrial stuff? When we talk about events, we talk about visiting Ventura. We need our hotels, our motels, and obviously to have a comprehensive plan on short-term vacation rentals. Thank you so much. That concludes our public speakers on item 11. Back to city council. Questions? Um, I would, staff, do you have, would you like to address the issue of 15% um, is the max? Um, is there a number other than 15% that you considered or where are you coming from? In, help us. So thank you for the opportunity. So this is a program through HUD. It's part of the American Rescue Plan, which is the ARP, Home ARP. It is related to the home program, which we are an entitlement city for. This is, a, the process is typically with um, HUD programs such as CDBG is 15% admin costs because there is ongoing activities required by the city to perform starting with getting the project started, identifying subrecipients, and then monitoring them for years to come. This is a home program. This will be a minimum of 20-year monitoring uh, activity. And I just want to clarify that the action tonight is about the allocation plan. Uh, it is not about a particular project. The purpose of the allocation plan was to do a needs-based uh, assessment of the city's uh, highest need. And it was determined through this process which was intensive in terms of, much more intensive than any of the other HUD programs I've worked on, which is both CDBG and Home for many years, um, requiring consult consultations with numerous uh, providers and with uh, nonprofits and with the county and uh, so forth. And so it did require a lot of time. We uh, did engage a, a consultant for this purpose um, and HUD is being very, very strict about the, the uh, information gathering and analysis part of this uh, process. So there is no identified project, but what was uh, identified was the biggest need is affordable housing. And so there are other options. There are things like uh, services, and most of the, a lot of the consultations were by service providers who generally agreed that development of housing is the most important in order to get people in places where they could be provided services. Um, we will come back to city council when, w once this uh, a plan has been approved by HUD and uh, then come with a, a project, but at this point it is simply about the allocation plan. We do not have to use that 15%, but it's very standard in the HUD program. Um, and so uh, 
we may not use all of it, but we have already engaged, uh, as I said, uh, as a consultant to do the heavy lift on the consultations and the analysis and all the data, data gathering. So that's, I think I addressed the, the questions and comments that were brought up, but I'm happy to ask, answer anything else. I, I think, um, so you'll come back later, is that six months, three months? Actually, no. So we are planning to come back once our allocation plan has been submitted to HUD. We anticipate about a 60-day review process where they will make a determination on whether or not our allocation plan will be approved. We are confident our plan will be approved as long as it um, receives the support needed from City Council this evening. And then once that plan has been approved, we will return back to City Council and propose potential affordable housing projects for your consideration. So is it your professional opinion that 15% um, for administrative costs covers uh, your time because we don't we don't need to um, uh, we're not making money we don't we don't want to be in a net position correct that is correct yes so as as um, Jenny mentioned we have util utilized a significant portion of the money for our consultant Cloudburst that helped us with the public engagement component and drafting the detailed allocation plan. And then as mentioned, it will be 20 years worth of monitoring. So just to ensure that we have the available funding and not operate at a net, at a net loss, we will be utilizing um, close to 50% of the administrative um, component of the allocation. Questions, Councilmember Johnson? Thank you, Mayor. I, I don't really have any questions. I wanna thank staff for all their hard work getting this done. It was, as I said, a pretty intense process. I know a lot of people who were interviewed it was gathering a lot of information from a lot of stakeholders in really a very short period of time. Uh, for those of you who, who maybe may remember, I had made a, a move to get a million dollars out of our uh, COVID relief money and put it towards homelessness. And, and instead, staff decided to go after this home ARP funding, which is a great solution. And while the, um, you know, that it doesn't, match up exactly with, with what I, how I would have spent that million dollars. Um, they certainly had the benefit of talking to the community and especially doing that gap analysis, which, um, which especially through the social services task force has been a crucial conversation. And so with that, Mayor, I would move staff's recommendation. Thanks. Any other comments? I would second that. So we have a motion and a second, or was that a comment? Are you waving hello? No, I, I, would, I, I was in the queue, but apparently you didn't see I'm me. Not, I'm not getting the queue. I really apologize. I can uh, tell you you're didn't gonna get have to queue. wave or throw something at me for the rest of the night. Thank you for- Some of you are good at. Thank you for allowing me to speak. I, I wanted to tell you that um, I agree with Councilmember Johnson's um, comments in regards to all the work that was put into this. I, I read this a couple of times, and I, and I want to tell you, I wasn't really surprised with the results that I saw, um, but I'm excited that of the possibilities and what we're going to do with that. And so I just want to say, great job. Thank you so much for all the hard work you put into this. So we have a motion and a second. Um, any other comments? If not, let's go to vote. Okay, on item number 11. Go ahead and enter your vote now. All votes have been entered. Seven ayes, and the motion carries. 
Thank you very much. Nice job, staff. Uh, formal items, on to number 12, Ventura Water Pure. Um, I'll hand it over to the city manager for the introduction. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, I'm gonna tee up this item and then uh, Ms. Szymanski and Ms. Barry will take it from there. Uh, I wanna make it very clear, uh, we're not asking for a decision tonight. Uh, tonight is really about uh, sharing with staff the, uh, the additional items of research that we can do to help council make an informed decision on the 27th. Uh, the decision that we're asking the council to make on March 27th, it, it is a big deal. It'll have significant impacts on our water and wastewater rates. Uh, Ms. Berry will talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. And so that's the reason that we're coming to you in two bites. We'll come to you tonight, and then in two more weeks, we'll come back to you on March 27th. For a program like Ventura Water Pure, uh, there's not one single decision that sets this program up in motion. It's a series of many decisions, some bigger than others. Uh, this is one of those bigger decisions, and those decisions span multiple city councils, they span multiple city managers over the arc of time, uh, but this one is gonna be a consequential one, which is why we thought it'd be best to come back to you in, in two stances. So this is the first of two. Uh, my hope is that you'll be able to hear some information from Ms. Barry and team, and then be able to share uh, with the group what is the additional information that staff can come back with in two weeks to help council make what is going to be a consequential decision? So with that, Mr. Mayor, I'm gonna hand it now to Ms. Barry and team to continue with the presentation. Thank you. Good evening, Honorable Mayor and City Council. My name is Erin Barry, and I'm the Senior Management Analyst for the Ventura Water Pier Program. I'm before you tonight to present background information on the Ventura Water Pure Water Infrastructure Finance and Innovation Act Loan, or WIFIA, agreement. This agreement will fund a large portion of the Ventura Water Pure Program and Membrane Bioreactor Project. I'm joined tonight by Ventura Water General Manager, Gina Dorrington, Interim Chief Financial Officer, Greg Morley, Senior Assistant City Attorney Miles Hogan, and of course, Interim City Manager Akbar Ali Khan on the dais. Behind me in the first row, I'm also joined by Linda Szymanski, Ventura Water Pure Program Director, Kevin Kostiak, Senior Manager at Reftalis, and virtually by Chick Adams, the City's Bond Council at Jones Hall, all of whom are available this evening to help answer questions at the end of the presentation. Water Commission Chair Nova Kleit and Water Commissioner Jim Ackerman are also in the first row and will be sharing a statement during the presentation. The goal of tonight's presentation is to preview the WIFI agreement and capture council questions. We will be returning to you in two weeks on March 27th with the agreement for council approval. However, before I jump into this, I'd like to share with you all the second video we have produced explaining the Ventura Water Pure program to our residents. The scope of the program is large, so we've been working on building up our outreach activities including producing a series of videos to explain the program and how it fits into the rest of the city's water supply. Here's the second video in that series.
The drought has let him wonder off. What can we do to ensure survival? Lake Casita, the Ventura River, and local water basins all rely on rain, rainstorm, and replenish themselves. As the rain falls and snow melts, fresh water fills our lakes. Record rainfall. Lake Casita has dropped to critically low levels, and local groundwater storage remains limited. So, what? And local groundwater basins all rely on rain to restore and replenish. As the rain falls and snow melts, fresh water fills our lakes and rivers and slowly replenishes our groundwater basins. However, after several years of record low rainfall, Lake Casitas has dropped to critically low levels and local groundwater storage remains limited. So, what drought-proof water solutions are available to Ventura? Over the years, Ventura has considered many water solutions that ultimately led to Ventura Water Pure, a multi-benefit water reuse program. Instead of depending entirely on rainfall, Ventura has plans to recycle and reuse the water it already has. After all, water is constantly being used and reused as it moves through the water cycle. Taking inspiration from nature, we can recycle and reuse water in our communities to ensure sufficient water is available even when our rivers are dry and our lakes are low. Ventura Water Pure, the city's purified recycled water program will do just that. It will recover, treat, and reuse water that is currently discharged to the Santa Clara River Estuary, creating a new water supply that doesn't depend on rainfall. Purified recycled water is created by taking water that's been treated at a wastewater treatment plant and sending it to an advanced water purification facility to be further cleaned and treated to drinking water standards. This trusted solution will provide a new drought-resilient water supply, making it a critical investment for generations to come. Visit VenturaWaterPure.net to learn more, explore frequently asked questions, and receive project updates. Hopefully that video sets the stage for all that Ventura Water Pure is about. For anyone who's interested in learning more or watching the first video in this series, I encourage you to please visit our webpage, VenturaWaterPure.net. The first video is also available in Spanish. This brings us to our presentation this evening, focused on the first major financing agreement, like I said, the WIFIA agreement. Here is an agenda for the items I'm going to cover this evening. The first is a slide covering the major decisions that have gotten us to this point and some of the big decisions coming up and where the WIFIA agreement fits into those items. I'm then going to review the Ventura Water Pure financing strategy, the projects that will be funded by WIFIA, the WIFIA financing structure and some of the benefits that come along with it. And then I'm going to switch the focus of the presentation to talk about rate impacts. And then I will summarize where we're moving next. This slide captures just a handful of the big decisions that City Council has made and will be asked to make in the future about this program. In this first row, you can see the decisions that have already been made that obligate the city to pursue Ventura Water Pure. In 2010 through 2012, we had the consent decree. 
And in 2011 through 2018, much of the 2010s, the city conducted a number of estuary studies to help figure out what the best path forward was to uh, uh, following through with the consent decree. In 2019, the city council certified an environmental impact report that suggested moving forward with the Ventura Water Pier program. In 2021, my team, as well as our program director, Linda Szymanski, was hired, committing full-time staff resources to the Ventura Water Pier program. Also in 2021, five-year rate increases were adopted by city council, and in 2022, Ventura Water Pier was identified as a city council goal. On behalf of so many Ventura Water and City staff members, I do want to thank the City Council for the work and commitment you've shown over the past decade to bringing this project to fruition, and I look forward to talking with you about it more this evening. Now here's the WIFIA agreement. This is where we are today. We've known for a long time that WIFIA is a key component of the financing strategy for Ventura Water Pure to implement these decisions made previously. I'll talk about that financing strategy shortly. We'll be asking council to sign the WIFIA loan in two weeks, which will allow the city to move forward with major projects, including these outlined in purple. This is construction of the ocean outfall project, the membrane bioreactor project, and construction of the advanced water purification facility. Of course, there are other big decisions that will be coming up as it relates to the financing of this program as well. This includes an SRF, or State Revolving Fund, agreement if we are successful in our application. It includes a potential future uh, loan agreement, and it also incorporates future rates, which I'll be talking about later in this presentation. Now, like I said, WIFIA is the first major item in a larger financing strategy financing strategy for the Ventura Water Pure Program and the Membrane Bioreactor Project, as shown here. WIFIA is being leveraged to cover 49% of Phase 1A of the Ventura Water Pure Program and 49% of the Membrane Bioreactor Project. There are a number of other financing strategies the city is planning to use to finance this program, including grants, of which we've obtained $18. million to date, and between the two programs are hoping for about $45 million before the program is complete. We're also looking at, like I said on the previous slide, bonds and state revolving fund loans to, to finance a portion of these projects. And then for phase 1B of the Ventura Water Pier Program, this would build out the capacity of the advanced water purification facility. We're looking at pay-as-you-go, which would utilize net zero, estuary fees, and reserves generated by rates. We are constantly updating our financial model to incorporate these, the most recent information, and we're always on the lookout for additional grant funding to make this as affordable to our ratepayers as possible. Now, here I am talking about the WIFIA loan, but what is it? The WIFIA agreement was established, or the WIFIA program, I'm sorry, was established in 2014 by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency to provide financing for up to 49% of water and wastewater infrastructure projects across the country. Interest rates are benchmarked to the U.S. Tre Treasury rate of a similar maturity, and WIFIA agreements come with a variety of flexibilities as shown on this slide here. The first is the size of this credit agreement. It's not common to obtain credit agreements of this volume, $174 million approximately, in the bond market. 
It's also uncommon to find something that has this variety of flexible repayment schedules without additional fees. There are numerous benefits to these flexibilities, including the fact that high rates of inflation and volatile construction material costs make construction costs more challenging to predict, almost as challenging it is, as it is to predict the cost of eggs when you walk into the grocery store these days. As costs are refined, the city will be able to optimize when costs are incurred to minimize ratepayer impacts by utilizing these flexibilities. The caveat that I will add for council is that we must elect all of these flexibilities at the outset of the agreement to be able to take advantage of them. As time progresses and costs are uh, refined for the project, we'll be able to determine which of these flexibilities to take advantage of and which ones to forego. The purpose of this slide is really just to show the sheer number of CIP projects dependent on the execution of the WIFIA agreement. Ventura Water Pier was identified in 2022, like I said, as a city council goal and is a key part of the financing strategy for all of these projects. So to keep us moving forward on execution of these capital improvement projects, the WIFIA loan will help really get those jump started. I also want to note that there are actually going to be two separate WIFIA credit agreements coming before you in two weeks. One for the wastewater fund and one for the water fund. You can see the dollar amounts are not evenly split between the two funds. This is because the costs for these projects are not evenly split. So for example, the advanced water purification facility is a 50-50 split between the water and the wastewater funds for how costs are incurred. The membrane bioreactor project, on the other hand, is almost entirely carried by the wastewater fund. When you look at this across the capital improvement project supported by this agreement, you end up with these, uh, these cost splits between the two. Now, I also want to highlight just a couple of WIFIA's requirements as they have real implications for our water and wastewater utility rates, which I will discuss later. The first requirement I want to discuss is debt coverage, but before I get to that, I'd like to cover some basics before I talk about that. The first item, the first row on this table, is gross revenue. You can think of this in your day-to-day -day life as total salary. This is, for the wastewater and water funds, the income generated from normal business operations, primarily rates. The second item is operating expenses. In our lives, that's our living expenses. Groceries, gas, health insurance, childcare. And for our utilities, that's things like personnel salaries, operations costs, chemicals, maintenance costs to keep our, our facilities running. And when you look at the difference between those two, gross revenue, less operating expenses, you get left with, you're left with net operating revenues. That's the money that you have left over in any given month after you've paid for all of those other things. But this is a pretty simplistic scenario. A lot of us uh, hope to buy homes or have purchased homes in our lives and have mortgages associated with that. Annual debt service is the total amount we might owe on a mortgage in any given year. And for the purposes of the water and the wastewater funds, it's the total amount owed on any outstanding debt due in any given year. Now that we understand these basics, I think it's, it's easier to talk about the rate covenants, which is really just a fancy way of saying the agreements. These are components of the WIFIA agreement that we are agreeing to. The first is that gross revenue must cover 100% of operation and maintenance costs. 
which includes debt service and other system expenses. That just means that we need to bring enough money in to be able to pay our expenses. Okay, straightforward. The second is, net, net, is that net operating revenues must be at least 1.2 times the annual debt service. This is a debt coverage ratio of 1.2. Coming back to our personal finance model, say in any given year we owe $10,000 on our mortgage. I'd love to have a mortgage of $10,000. Uh, we would need to have $12,000 in net operating revenues, that money left over in any given year, to be in compliance with this term. I will note that this debt coverage requirement is identical to our existing water and wastewater bonds, and we would anticipate the same requirement on other loans that the city might take on in the future. So this term, this debt coverage ratio of 1.2, is not unique to the WIFIA agreement. Now I think it's helpful to show these things graphically. These graphs show the required debt coverage ratio of 1.2 with a red dashed line. It's in the same location on both graphs. The solid blue, blue line is the projected debt coverage over time. This represents what, based on the city's financial model, we might expect to see on any given year. In example one, on the left, you see a scenario where the city has well over that 1.2 debt coverage ratio through the rest of this decade. That's good, that's the situation that we want to be in. In example two, we see a scenario with insufficient debt coverage in fiscal year 2029. The blue line really hugs that 1.2 coverage ratio, that's okay, staying at that coverage is okay, but dropping below it creates some problems. If we dip below this line, we would be in what's called technical default on the loan. This would have negative impacts to the city's credit rating and would also prevent the city from issuing additional parity debt. That's really any additional debt. This would jeopardize the future of the Ventura Water Pure Program and the Membrane Bioreactor Project. As you saw in the financing slide, there are other loans that we're going to need to take on to finance the entirety of these projects. To bring this back to our personal finance example, this means that the bank had some sort of term that required us to have 1.2 times the total amount owed on our mortgage that year, and that year we might still be able to pay the 1.2, let's say we had uh, $10,120, we'd have enough to pay it, but we wouldn't have enough uh, to, to uh, meet that requirement. The second requirement that I want to highlight is what's called a rate stabilization fund. A rate stabilization fund, as shown here, dedicates net revenues, again, our extra cash, after expenses like food, gas, and healthcare are taken out. And we're basically taking money that could be spent on other discretionary items, say a master's degree, a vacation, a nice dinner out, in the city's case, capital projects, and setting it aside for a few years while we're taking on additional debt, the WIFIA agreement. By setting it aside for that time, we're ensuring we'll be able to meet our debt coverage requirement of 1.2 without just relying on our income or customer rates. It allows the city to increase rates more incrementally to achieve these terms. This is a temporary restriction. We're simply borrowing from ourselves temporarily and can use that money to pay back the debt when the debt issuance period is over. 
This is not a 35-year commitment of these dollars, but rather a five to 10-year commitment. The reason that the WIFIA program requires us to ensure the city has this, these, is to ensure that the city has sufficient coverages throughout the debt issuance period, while also being receptive to ratepayer impacts. So now that I've covered the basics of the WIFIA agreement and the relevant requirements, I'm going to shift the focus of this presentation to rate impacts. As we shift this focus, I do want to remind the council of two critical items. First is that water and wastewater rates are influenced by all water and wastewater expenses, not just Ventura Water Pure and not just the WIFIA agreement. Second is that as discussed on that slide about big decisions, the city has already committed to Ventura Water Pure and the WIFIA agreement is simply the first juncture where council is making a decision obligating future ratepayer funds. We are sharing the following sides in the interest of complete financial transparency. But to discuss these impacts, I have to take a moment to take a step back in time to 2021 and the cost of service and rate design study. At that time, we asked Council to adopt 7% rate increases for fiscal years 2022 through 2026 for the Water Fund. Those were adopted. However, as you can see here, the rate study also had to incorporate assumptions for the utility's 10-year financial plan, which projected those same 7% rate increases through fiscal year 2030. This table is taken directly out of the rate study and as you can see, the increases in these out years, fiscal years 27 through 30, were for planning purposes only. These are not adopted rates, and the city would need to go through a full Proposition 218 planning process to adopt these rates. That said, they were included in our projections for financial planning purposes. As you can see in this graph, these graphs are gonna be coming back, the rate coverages resulted in projections that the water fund would be able to meet the required debt coverages over the next 10 years. That blue line stayed above the red line. Very quickly, the city made similar assumptions in the rate design study for the wastewater fund. 6% rate increases were adopted through fiscal year 2026, and the same rate increases were assumed for those out years for planning purposes. Like in the water fund, the wastewater fund was able to maintain the necessary rate coverages, debt coverages throughout the period. However, the assumptions have changed since the rate study was completed in 2021. We're seeing higher WIFIA interest rates. At the time, we assumed 2% for WIFIA, and we're now looking at 4%. Inflation has also increased the estimated construction costs just as much as it is, has influenced costs in our daily lives. WIFIA also required us to implement the rate stabilization fund. Like I said, this one's actually working in our favor, but as you can see in this graph, the combination of higher interest rates and inflation has had just enough of an impact to cause the water fund's projected coverage ratios to dip below 1.2 in 2029. The rate stabilization fund is what allows us to help hug this line at 1.2 in earlier years, but is not able to compensate for the small dip in 2029. This means that the rate increases projected in the rate model, 7% annually in those out years, 
is close, but not quite enough to cover these coverage, to maintain this coverage ratio. Preliminary financial modeling anticipates rate increases between 7 and 8% annually from fiscal years 2027 to 2031, comparable to what was projected. I will note that these are just estimates and will need to be refined as part of a rate setting process in the future. Unfortunately, updated assumptions have had a greater impact on the wastewater fund. As you can see, we have the same updated assumptions as water, higher WIFIA interest rates, the rate stabilization fund that allows us to hug that 1.2 line. However, the big change for wastewater is the addition of the membrane bioreactor project. MBR increased the burden of costs on the wastewater fund significantly. This means that rate increases projected in the rate model, 6% annually for wastewater through 2030, are insufficient to maintain this ratio. This is a much more significant change from that time. Thus, we expect wastewater rate increases that are higher than the current rate assumptions of 6% through the end of the decade for the next rate setting period. Preliminary financial modeling to solve this problem anticipates rate increases of 12% in fiscal year 2027 and 9% annually in fiscal years 2028 through 2031. Again, these are just estimates and will need to be refined along with updated operating costs and other capital project costs as part of a rate setting process in the future. Now, I think it's helpful to think about these rate increases and understand these rate increases in comparison to our neighboring agencies. Here is a graph that shows the anticipated cost of an average monthly single-family residential bill for Ventura and our neighbors in July 2025 at the end of Ventura's currently adopted rate period. This graph assumes conservative annual rate increases of 3.5%, for all agencies that don't have adopted rate increases for this period, as designated by the orange circles. This 3.5% is likely an underestimate given inflation, but this should be viewed as kind of a worst case scenario of where Ventura might be in comparison to our neighbors. As you can see, Ventura is anticipated to be right in the middle of our neighboring agencies in 2025. By 2030, with the same increases for our neighbors of 3.5%, which now you can see the orange circles are on every neighboring agencies because, because of the longer time horizon, rates are always adopted on a maximum of a five-year period, so we're looking out past that five-year period at this point. Ventura would be in the top third of the graph if we were to adopt the 7 to 8% rate increases for water and 9 to 12% rate increases for wastewater for the period for 2027 through 2031. While this would be a stark change from our position as compared to our neighbors in 2025, we will also be the only community in the county with such a diversified water supply portfolio. A diversified water supply is beneficial because we live in an arid region where rainfall is challenging to predict. While we've been fortunate to have so much rain this year, which is helping to fill Lake Casitas and our groundwater basins, we are still in the midst of a drought. By having a diverse water supply portfolio, including Ventura Water Pure, which I will note is not dependent on rainfall, we are able to buffer those potential impacts. 
This is also likely an overestimate of our position, much like in the previous graph, and again should be viewed as a worst case scenario. Many of our neighbors are looking at larger rate increases that are not shown on this graph. For example, Oxnard is currently considering, considering five-year rate increases of five to nine and a half percent annually. Santa Barbara is looking at four to five percent rate increases. Goleta, while not on this graph, is currently in the midst of nine to 11 percent rate increases. Many more of our neighbors are likely to, many more of our neighbors are likely to raise their rates and none of them will have the diversified water supply portfolio that Ventura has with Ventura Water Pure. We recognize that these are very large numbers and the city is continuously seeking opportunities to minimize impacts to our ratepayers. This is going to be a key focus of future financial planning. As a reminder, we are not asking council to approve these rate increases or the WIFIA agreement tonight. We are providing this information so that the council and members of the community have the opportunity to ask questions about these implications and move forward with the WIFIA agreement in two weeks. So now that we've covered rate impacts and the Ventura Water Pure program, I want to bring us back to some final key impacts of the WIFIA agreement. First is that WIFIA is necessary to move forward with continued program design and construction. Delays would lead to pushing back construction on the Ocean Outfall Project, which is currently scheduled to begin this fall. If we did not begin construction this fall, we would need to push back construction of the project by an entire year due to time of year restrictions. This would also delay the membrane bioreactor project, which means that current facilities would remain structurally at risk, and we would not have a new water supply available for our customers. The right-hand side of this slide, I think, is a little bit scarier. We'd be in violation of the consent decree, and we would also be in violation of our NPTES, or National Pollutant Discharge Elimination System permit which could lead to administrative fines of up to $10,000 per day and penalties of up to $54,000 per violation and potential criminal penalties. Of course, there are also a lot of things that are exciting to look forward to with Ventura Water Pure. As you saw in the video just before the presentation, Ventura Water Pure is drought resistant, environmentally protective, and high quality. It also gives us the most diverse water supply portfolio in the county, which will in turn support the city's current and future residents. The membrane bioreactor project will also allow the city to maintain wastewater services and meet legal requirements. So as I begin to come to a close, I want to revisit this slide that highlights the scale of this project. Through the consent decree, the EIR, council goals, and other avenues, the city has demonstrated commitment to the environment and its future water supply through Ventura Water Pure. The WIFIA agreement will allow us to achieve these goals. It is the first in a series of big financing agreements that we're going to need to commit to, but Ventura Water Pure, along with other capital improvement projects and operating expenses, will commit future ratepayer funds as well. That being said, we will get an innovative and high quality water supply from this program. Now, I would like to invite up Water Commission Chair Nova Kleit 
and Commissioner Jim Ackerman to make a couple of comments about a recent Water Commission motion made on February 28th. Greetings, Honorable Mayor and Council Members. Uh, so the Water Commission received a very detailed report on the WIFI alone, and we, of course, have been very much involved in the Water Pure project all along. We strongly support it. Um, we were not asked to make a recommendation to City Council on this WIFI alone. We said, let's do it. After the presentation, the commissioners decided we want to make a statement to you folks that we support this loan going forward. It's got great flexibility. Um, it's just essential, as has been pointed out in this presentation, to get this project done. And it's nice that we have rainfall and snow right now, but we are in a long-term drought and it's really necessary to have Ventura Water Pure. So, simply put, the Water Commission supports moving forward this. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor Schroeder and the rest of the council members. Um, I am uh, also on the Water Commission, obviously, as a non-professional, which means um, a civilian. I don't know very much about water. You can put about that much in a thimble, but bottom line is, I've learned so much from the Ventura Water staff uh, and Ventura Water Pier people that uh, what we're doing and where we're going, we're on the right path. We depend uh, on them to direct us and give us information that's going to lead us to a viable water source. Uh, I'm a local ratepayer, and I also utilize a lot of recycled water for my yard watering. So uh, water is really my thing, and I think this is the future of Ventura and all the citizens for years to come to have a quality uh, water supply. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Ackerman and Commissioner Clyte. So again, today is an opportunity for council to ask any questions of staff, and we, so we may return to you on March 27th with answers to questions that we are unable to answer tonight, so that you feel prepared to adopt resolutions authorizing, authorizing the execution and delivery of the WIFIA agreement. Loan closing is tentatively scheduled on April 11th, 2023. As you can imagine, it takes a village to work on something of this magnitude. And I'd like to now open the floor to questions with this set of professionals to support. Councilmember Johnson. Thank you, Mayor. I'd like to thank staff for this presentation. I'd like to thank the city manager as well for making sure that we had some time to really digest it before we have to, to make a vote. Um, that, that's an important part of, of how we can do business. And I really want to thank Ms. Clyde and Mr. Ackerman for being here. Um, you know, I attended I don't know how many Water Commission meetings, and, and I've said this before, but the city, we are so fortunate to have these residents and professionals that are willing to volunteer their time and, and advise us on these things. And what they say means a great deal to me. I do have some questions. Um, some of them, you know, are mine. Some of them have come in from other people. Um, I will say, you know, the, the ballooning cost, I, I have spoken about it since long before I was elected. Um, and, I, and I do expect it's going to be 
even more than, than what we're looking at now. Um, would it be possible to move ahead with meeting the terms of the consent decree and put off the potable reuse? Thank you, Councilmember Johnson. It would not be possible. The consent decree requires us to divert water that is currently discharged to the Santa Clara River estuary for beneficial reuse. Uh, we do need to divert that water. That's one component, but we also need that beneficial reuse component. And so building the advanced water purification facility is our way of doing that. Thank you. And where is the state on uh, regulations and standards for indirect potable reuse? Uh, regulations for indirect potable reuse are uh, fully adopted, and there are other communities across the state that have already utilized indirect potable reuse. Such as? Uh, the Orange County, uh, Orange County has been doing this for decades now. Um, we've got some folks uh, up, the, up the coast in uh, Monterey and Morro Bay who are also utilizing this or in the um, implementation phases. So if you go to Disneyland and drink from a water fountain? Yes. Yes, great, thank you. Um, when we look at the, the WIFIA loan of 4%, um, you know, for so long it was, we, you know, we were told that it would be about 1.85% or 2%. When we made the shift to looking at 4%, did we go back and reanalyze the other options for funding this? Yes, so the other option to achieve this uh, amount of funding would be municipal bonds. Municipal bonds are comparable in rates to WIFIA at this time. However, they don't come with the additional flexibilities that WIFIA provides. Thank you. And was there a way, essentially, through WIFIA where if the interest rates drop, we could essentially... Uh, refinance it? Yes, there is one potential opportunity to refinance the WIFIA agreement. Uh, it, the the uh, interest rate is locked in on the day of closing. If interest rates drop by more than 0.5% between that closing and when we take our first disbursement, we can re-execute the loan to capture a low, lower interest rate. I will note that we are currently anticipating taking our first disbursement probably this fall. So there isn't an extended period of time between those, but if they do drop enough, the city would certainly look at that option. Thank you, and so would it then be in our best interest to see the banking system continue to stumble? <laughs> I, think, I think there's a good chance we're gonna see some volatility in those rates uh, between now and then. Um, thank you for answering all my questions. Uh, thank you, Mayor, for the opportunity to ask those questions. Councilmember Halter. Great, thank you, Matt, uh, Mr. Mayor. <laughs> um, and I want to thank my colleague for asking some excellent questions, of which uh, there's a couple that have been checked off my list as well. I want to thank staff for an excellent report. I think it, I really appreciate you being up front and sharing with us the increases and the ballooning of the costs. Um, um, but I, I, since you take into consideration things like the inflationary costs of, of building the plant and the increased cost of the loan, I assume that when you look at that, for instance, that 7% a year that was approved for, the, for five years, that that's really 47% uh, compounded rate, correct? Okay. So what costs $100 in 2020 will cost $147 in 2025, and then and even more so as we move into the next five years. Um, uh, to follow, follow on with my colleague, uh, Councilmember Johnson, um, 
so after we take the first disbursement um, and the rates go down, you know, in the mortgage field, you have like Quicken Loans, things like that, that guarantee if rates go down, they refinance you for free. Uh, <laughs> um, is there anything like that in the WIFIA loan where uh, as after you take that first disbursement and rates go down, um, uh, is there any mechanism to re revisit that, that rate? And if so, how many points would it cost? So there is no mechanism within WIFIA itself to refinance after that first disbursement occurs. However, the city would be able to uh, pursue a potential refinancing with another lender in the same way that you might uh, refinance your mortgage. Okay. So if rates were to drop sufficiently, the city could request a full payout of the WIFIA loan um, and refinance with another lender. Okay, and then, um, you know, Water and housing are our two most complex and most necessary and most glaring problems or issues, challenges to address. So with that, I look at, uh, I pull from my uh, chemical engineering background and I think of all the different uh, possible, uh, the new technologies that's come forward. Um, we look at all the water that's exited through our river systems on these relentless storm after storm after storm and think, is there anybody working with each one of the water departments in each community, um, be it the state or maybe a state commission or committee that is looking at ways to capture more of that water, knowing that we're on probably 20-year cycles instead of three or five-year cycles, um, so we could uh, store more of that water for in good times like now for bad times? That's one question. So I know that there's a lot of uh, conversation about that with our recent storms, and the governor's office is interested in stormwater capture. Um, the city is not looking at that necessarily at this time, but I think that as we move forward, um, you know, all options will be on the table in the future. Gina, I don't know if you'd like to add anything to that. Uh, thank you, Councilmember Halter, for um, considering that, considering where we are and where our rivers empty into. Uh, we are partners with the um, county of Ventura with the MS4 stormwater permit that's issued by the regional board. And so the county has been exploring several avenues on how to um, pursue that. It's again a funding issue um, and it would take a lot of diversion and treatment and collaboration regionally, but it's not something that uh, doesn't get discussed. It's just, a, it's, a, it's truly a funding issue. LA took on a large, um, Component and they have a me they had a, their measure to uh, to help fund diversion structures like that. So okay. it's something that'll be worked on, but it'll be time and money. There's so much more efficiency and so much more technology out there for re renewable energy sources to run uh, more efficient and larger pumping pumping facilities. And so then it's about storage. Um, so then it brings to mind for me uh, things like. The capacity of water pure um, is it? I know we're planning on handling our wastewater and purifying that, but uh, since we don't see other communities necessarily around us doing the same, is it possible to take their wastewater and create even more water for ourselves? So there's a lot of infrastructure, of course, that goes into these kind of projects, including pipelines, pump stations. Um, as well as the actual treatment technology itself, which has a certain kind of finite capacity. 
Uh, Ventura Water Pier is going to be built in two phases, phase 1A and 1B. That's going to build out capacity in 1B. That's currently planned to just be Ventura, City of Ventura uh, water supplies. Um, it's not currently been discussed whether or not we'd be taking on additional water from other communities. Um, I don't know, Gina, if you'd like to add anything else. No. Yeah, right. This is uh, solely a Ventura, uh, City of Ventura project at this, at this time. point. At this point in time. Okay, along with that then, as far as um, I assume the United Water District has to get involved with um, the interconnect to connect to the state water project, because I'm hoping that the state will also he heed the call of reserving water and be able to store that water for future use and therefore have more to be able to send through the state system. So um, has the um, uh, United Water Board weighed in on the interconnect project since that's part of our entire water uh, capacity plan? I know it's different than what we're speaking of tonight, but it's related. Uh, thank you, Councilmember Halter. Uh, yes, the United Water Conservation District is a partner with the city in the State Water Interconnection Project. Uh, they actually uh, voted uh, uh, earlier this month um, to support the project in the interagency agreement. And that agreement should be coming forward to the City Council within the next few months for consideration and approval. So United Water Conservation is a partner and the pipeline will go right near their spreading ba uh, basins. Okay, great. Okay, I think that's all my questions right now. I'll let my colleagues continue. Thank you. Councilmember Duran, and my queuing system is now operating. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, and thank you uh, to my colleagues for the questions. Many of them of mine were answered. Um, and if this was answered, I, I forgive me, but is there a, a state water board approved test accepted for the extracted water to be used as direct um, potable reuse? Thank you, Councilmember Duran. Can you please repeat the question? Is there a state water board approved test accepted for the extracted water to be used as a direct? As direct potable reuse? Uh -huh. So the regulations for direct potable reuse have not yet been released. Uh, there are draft regulations that are being circulated at this time, and we're anticipating that the final regulations will be out uh, late in the summer. Um, although that timeline is, of course, subject to change. Um, so we have an idea of what might be expected for direct potable reuse, but it's not, it's not been uh, fully regulated yet. Thank you. Um, and Ms. Dorrington, could you briefly just add about the testing and robustness that will go into the, um, this indirect potable reuse project? All right, thank you, Council Member Duran. I, I will try to not be as technical as I could possibly be, but thank you. Um, the, uh, the Ventura Water Pier program right now is planned for going indirect uh, potable reuse. So the water will be treated through a multi-barrier process um, that is highly regulated. Those have um, required testing and proving before we even with extract the water. Now that water, when we say extract, it's going into the groundwater. Um, so that's going to have a time period associated with it um, that's acceptable with the um, Division of Drinking Water. And um, then we have some testing and proving after that. But all of that is approved and um, will be monitored by both the Division of Drinking Water and the State Water Resource Control Board. Thank you. Thank you. And so, you know, as we're talking about these projects, we're talking about them simultaneously. And I think you mentioned it earlier that 
we do have to bo do both of them at the same time because we need to move that water over. Yes, so the membrane bioreactor project is an upgrade at our existing Ventura water reclamation facility. That water is going to then be transferred to the planned advanced water purification facility. The treatment that's going to be associated with the MBR project will be part of the treatment train for indirect potable reuse. So it's important that both of these projects are completed at the same time. Uh, thank you. Also, you know, with the rate increases, um, you know, there's other utility companies that have, you know, care programs, things like that for maybe low income or is there, are we going to be looking at anything like that for any residents that may be on fixed incomes or? Uh, yes, Mr. Dren, we currently do have a program for um, that within our uh, customer care services. Okay. So we'll continue with that or yes. maybe even look at it? Yes. We can look at other options as they come available through some sort of funding. Okay. And I, I noticed that the Water Commission was very excited about this. Um, so they got the same presentation, I'm guessing, that we got. Yeah. Which is great. Okay. Thank you. And then um, I think that's all I have. Thank you. I think uh, the city manager wants to expand a little bit on the answer. Is that? Yeah, Council Member Grand, uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. I do think the affordability question has come up, and it will come up, I think, uh, again and again. I know it's going to be of particular interest to the, to the council going forward. Um, Gene is absolutely right. Uh, we do have an existing program. I, I do want to caution the council. There are certain limitations that we have as a public agency. We don't have the same flexibility as, say, Southern California Edison or an, another investor-owned utility where they can essentially use rates generated from one customer or one customer class to then subsidize rates for another customer class. Uh, through limitations of Prop 218, um, we really have to rely on alternate sources of revenue to be able to subsidize another person's uh, utility bill. What we use today, and Ms. Dorrington, please correct me if I, if I miss this, we use late penalty revenue today. Is that, is that correct? I guess that is correct, Mr. Alicon. Um, and that is a way, essentially what the state has said through, through uh, case law is that that revenue that's generated through late penalties is not actual rate revenue that's Prop 218. Um, uh, it's, you don't need, it doesn't rely on Prop 218. You don't use that to uh, fund your operation and capital program. So I just want to caution the council that as we, as we go about this conversation on affordability, because I'm guessing this will not be the last time we, we talk about this, um, that we, are, we don't get to exercise these programs with the same low flexibility as others. The other comment I'll make is there are policy decisions, and if the council wants to have a more robust conversation on this, that's why we have Mr. Kostick here. Um, there are policy decisions that you can make to uh, make water and wastewater services affordable for those um, low water users, particularly those living in apartments, condos, et cetera, multifamily units. Um, and that's what we did, that's what we've done through this past rate study. We were pretty aggressive on that, and that was a policy directive from the Water Commission. Uh, that's something that I expect the Water Commission and the City Council would uh, maintain going forward, which is that policy direction, in my estimation, has a greater impact on keeping rates affordable than even some of the uh, low-income rate assistance programs that we're able to offer. 
Th thank you, Mr. Alicon. May I follow up with a couple more questions, Mr. Mayor? So wh about what, once Ventura Water Pier is, is built, about what percentage of our water is gonna come from that? Thank you, Councilmember Duran. Um, up to 20% of the city's water supply will come from Ventura Water Pier after phase 1B. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? I mean, the position that we're already in and then to add that on, um, it seems like we are gonna be in great shape for a long, long time. Yeah, thank you for your presentation. Councilmember Compost. So I wanna thank uh, Mr. Ali Khan for his insight about affordability and, and rates. I do, um, I do want to ask, during your presentation about the rate increases, you, you have to make assumptions. And based on your long experience in water and then your current experience in the city, I'm sure you can extrapolate pretty accurately what the needs are. But the people in our community, not just the low-income residents, but everyone watching this presentation will see the rates go up and up and up, and even our affordability in this city get greater than it has been in the past in comparison. And they're going to ask us when we go to our community council meetings or be on the sidewalk, when are the rates gonna come down or how will we know with rents constantly going up? If water also goes up, how are we gonna feed our kids? How are we gonna survive? How do we answer that? Thank you, Council Member Campos. Um, I think that the concerns you express are very real and very critical for every one of our residents. Um, unfortunately, in the current environment, we're looking at um, inflationary pressures that are making our operations and maintenance costs go up and up. Um, and so at this time, I don't think that we're anticipating a period where rates might go down. Um, we are looking at kind of keeping up with inflation while also uh, financing these large capital improvement projects. Um, but this will absolutely be forefront for city staff as we move forward um, into the future for this project and in a future rate setting process to keep equity and um, ratepayer impacts in mind. Thank you. Um, Deputy Mayor Sanchez Palacios. Thank you, and thank you, staff, for um, a very thorough uh, report. I appreciate all the work you guys have done on this. Um, I just had a question on the rates comparison to our neighbors, um, which I think it's slide 20. Um, that, uh, yeah, that one. Um, that's a projection, right? That's not us right now. I'm just curious as to where we stand now. Yes, currently we are kind of on the lower end of the middle, upper end of the bottom third as compared to our neighbors. <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> okay, and so that, that's projected to be by July 2025 where we would be at in terms of rates? That's correct. And then it, it seems like we just keep going up. I, I, I think that um, as you've heard, that's definitely gonna be a resounding theme um, that will be coming up and I would just recommend that somehow uh, we can have answers for our community who will be asking. Um, thank you, City Manager Alicon, for 
also stepping in and, and giving that insight. Uh, I, I am certainly uh, think that this could be a positive. I, I do have concern as to the rate increases. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not saying that uh, we shouldn't, uh, but certainly it, it is of concern and we have to be, I think, cautious on that. Um, the other thing I, I had a question about, I think you briefly mentioned um, alternatives to WIFIA, uh, and, and in the report, it basically uh, jeopardizes the Ventura Water Pure um, project if we were to look at alternatives. Is that correct? Thank you, Councilmember Sanchez-Palacios. Um, the, key, the key point that we're at right now is really timing. Um, it's critical that we start construction on the ocean outfall project this fall, and the timing of obtaining another financing agreement would be challenging. I will also say that we don't believe that there are other financing, financing options currently available that have better terms than this one. The only thing I will say is that the state revolving fund agreements, state SRF, um, often do have more competitive rates. However, that program is a statewide program. It's oversubscribed, and so we can't guarantee that we'll be able to obtain that funding. Right, okay. Um, and then I think, lastly, you mentioned timing. Are we looking, uh, time-wise, still on the same uh, timeline, time frame that we've been talking about, or are things delayed in terms of construction or beginning, depending on this loan? So for the Ocean Outfall Project, we're currently on track to start construction this fall. In terms of um, the consent decree, I'd like to ask Mr. Hogan to speak to that. Uh, yes, thank you. So for the outfall, um, as uh, Ms. Barry mentioned, we would remain on schedule. Um, that would enable us to divert the water and maintain compliance with the diversion by the end of 2025 requirement. Um, because of the addition of the MBR project um, and other elements, the uh, advanced water purification facility is not anticipated to be complete until the end of 2027. And so then um, in the subsequent year is when the water would then be available. Um, so I think initially it was projected to be available in 2026. Okay. Now it would be available in uh, 2028. But by continuing forward, this city would be able to maintain compliance um, with its legal requirements. Right. Okay. Thank you so much again for all the work you all have done. Thank you. Councilmember McReynolds. Uh, good evening. And again, a uh, very good presentation. Thank you. <clears throat> um, can we go to slides 16 and 17? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So my first question is, Regarding the 7% rate increases projected, do those compound annu annually? <clears throat> yes. So isn't it a little misdeceiving to our citizenry that we're not putting whatever the compounding on top of that is so that they understand that the rate increase is actually increasing faster? Um, during the, the previous rate cycle process, the total amount was always reported so that um, our residents did have that compounding, the result of that compounding, um, and same uh, with the figures that Ms. Barry displayed, the total number at the end of the period um, does have that uh, compounding amount. Um, but we can um, take that into consideration um, as we report, you know, uh, 
I just want to be as transparent future, as we yeah. possibly can. And then as we move into the, <clears throat> excuse me, as we move into the next five years, the 26 through 30, can we update that to put in the, the new projection um, as opposed to the seven? Because now we're saying this is wastewater, wait, no, this is water. So this was eight and nine, is that what's? Thank you, Councilmember McReynolds. Yes, uh, it would be eight to 9% per year. This um, particular table is taken directly out of the rate study report right. from 2021 um, and was meant to illustrate what was assumed. But yes, moving forward, when we are able to refine those estimates, we would incorporate that into can these tables. Can we put that in the staff report for the net when this comes back so people can Absolutely. actually understand mm -hmm. you know, with the compounding so that we understand. And then um, obviously spending $350 million is you know, a little bit of money there. Um, how does this get divided between our, our water rates between businesses and residents? Like who, who's paying this, these additional rate increases? Because I see on the study that the deputy mayor, you know, we, we talked about a family. Where do the businesses slide into this model? I'd like to ask uh, Mr. Kevin Kostiak of uh, Raftalis to come up and answer that question, please. Uh, good evening, Mayor Schrader, council members. Thank you for the question. Uh, so the, the bill is going to depend on your customer class. That rate for each customer class is dependent on the cost of service analysis. So in the five-year rate study, we do a cost of service analysis where we say, what are the total operating capital needs of the utility, each one of them? We allocate those costs to different user classes, and those are recovered through either fixed charges. So on the water side, you have your meter-based fixed charges and water use rates. On the wastewater side, you have a base component and a flow component. So it's hard to say just where it falls. Obviously, these are all incorporated into the total revenue needs of the utilities, and then those are recovered based on the proportional share of each one of the customer classes. So approximately of, of our rates today, how, many, how much is paid by the residents? How much is paid by businesses? I would want to come back to you with a more specific answer based on, because that's influenced by both uh, how many metered connections we have at each customer class, dwelling units for residential customers, the size of the meter serving the connection, demands by each class. So I'd be happy to report back. Yeah, and if we go to slide 21, I mean, at the end of the day, we're, we, we're competing against those other cities. You know, and so we've, we just need to understand that there's implications. You know, if our water rates are higher, you know, I don't, I don't know how many businesses are thinking about relocating to Santa Barbara right now, but you know, I don't, I don't want to hold that up as like we're cheaper than Santa Barbara. You know, uh, as a resident of Santa Barbara, I, I understand your position, um, and these are residential bills, and I just want to reiterate that the uh, footnote down there that says these are three and a half percent assumed increases for other agencies. We're doing our best to update uh, based on adopted versus just planned increases. So hopefully in the next two weeks we can update some of these that I think might change that position, but the, the point is taken. Okay. And then uh, for Mr. Morley, uh, so we're gonna set up this uh, rate stabilization fund. What is the, how much are we funding and where does that money come from? Uh, the suggestion was, and Aaron, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it was 5% of the water funds and 10% of the wastewater funds the seed as a rate said, and that's five and 10% of the, of an annual revenue source to seed as a rate stabilization fund. 
we already worry have the money in cash, and so we're not losing any cash by doing this. What we're doing is creating a new reserve account on our balance sheet. Okay, but it's coming out of the water and sewer funds. Uh, it's coming out of cash that's already on hand. In those funds. Yes. Okay, and then uh, can we go back to slide 16 or 17? It doesn't matter which one. Uh, so we're financing 350 million dollars for this project, which is 49 percent. So there's another 352 million dollars coming at a later date with the municipal bonds, you kind of reference that. So what happens to the rates then? Do we, do we continue to see the rate increases when we bring that on? Uh, thank you, Councilmember Ms. Reynolds. Uh, the rate model incorporates all future financing anticipated for the Ventura Water Pure Program, including municipal bonds and the WIFIA agreement. It also incorporates current estimates for other capital improvement project costs and operating and maintenance project uh, costs for both enterprises. So the estimates you saw before you this evening reflect our uh, current best estimate for those projections with everything incorporated. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Duran. Thank you. I just have a couple more questions. Um, based on where we're at in the timeline, I, I'm guessing we already have permits for the outfall um, project, permits for the advanced water purification plant, and permits for the injection wells. We, do we have all of that already? Thank you, Councilmember. Um, we have recently obtained our Section 404 permit from the Army Corps for the Ocean Outfall Project. We anticipate receiving our permits for, from the California Coastal Commission and the State Lands Commission for that project in April. Um, and we have not yet submitted applications for the other components of the project, namely the Advanced Water Purification Facility. Thank you. And uh, lastly, um, we were, you said you mentioned like $45 million in, in grant money that we're getting for this project. So I'm wondering, as we move down the road, are we able to apply for more grants? Could we get more money? And is that factored in yet? Or is that something we're looking at? Thank you. Yes, we are trying to optimize as best as possible our grant funding. We're anticipating about $30 million from the Bureau of Reclamation. We're anticipating about $15 million from the State Revolving Fund's uh, separate grant program that's separate from their loans. Um, and then we are also looking to pursue additional grants for Phase 1B. We uh, recently revised some of our materials for the Bureau of Reclamation, actually, so that instead of capturing the full program under our current grants, we're capturing just that first phase. And our hope is that we'll be able to go back for additional uh, grant funding for Phase 1B when we get there. Thank you. Great work. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Johnson. Thank you, Mayor. Could we go back to slide 21? I'd like to follow up on something my colleague brought up. Uh, and, it, and it is critical that we are, you know, competing with other cities. Uh, first, you know, I, I'm gratified that we have as much for the pay go that we do um, after all the years of, of stockpiling some of that money. And then there's the net zero fee. I bring this up, of course, because I, I'm, I maintain that the net zero fee puts us at a huge competitive disadvantage when it comes to businesses wanting to expand or uh, startup in the city of Ventura. How much net zero, how much of net zero fees have we collected to date? Does, if you don't know, I didn't expect you to know, I didn't ask this question, but it would be something I would like uh, when this comes back to us. 
Thank you, Councilmember Johnson. I don't have that number, but I will return with it next time. Thank you. Thank you. Um, addressing the issue of compounding, um, you know, I, I think it's pretty obvious that when we when we went along with seven percent for five years, and we certainly talked about how how that was actually a forty-seven percent increase, and it turns out that that was inadequate. Obviously, if we're looking at greater increases in the following years. Um, in part because of changes like adding the $70 million for the membrane bioreactor that we did last year. Uh, over nine years, if we stayed at 7%, that compounds to an 84% increase in the cost to ratepayers, and, and that's at the 7%. And so I think it's safe to say that what we'd be looking at is doubling the rates at that 900 cubic feet per month. And as we... Um, work to make sure that the impact is lessened for those below that, I think it's probably important to realize that there will be residents who will, from all of this, see their rates triple or quadruple. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a difficult call. It's a difficult call, but we are where we are. Um, I had a question about the ocean outfall, saying that we are on track to get started. It seems to me, perhaps you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, but, you know, we go to Marina Park and it's, there's still nothing happening. What, what, is this a new timeline or were we always planning on not, not starting until the fall for the ocean outfall? Thank you, Council Member. Yes, we are uh, planning to start in the fall. Um, one of the important uh, kind of timelines that we're being mindful of for the ocean outfall project are those impacts in Marina Park. And of course, the summertime is the busiest season in Marina Park. Uh, for that reason, we decided to start construction after Labor Day to minimize those impacts to our residents and to anyone visiting the community and looking to take advantage of those uh, recreational resources. I will note that the beach will be open that whole time. Um, our impacts will be focused in the grassy part of the park. Thank you. And if perhaps the construction site can include a zip line, I think that would appease uh, Spencer Noren. Thank you, Mayor. Those are my questions. Councilmember McReynolds. I just have a follow-up on uh, council, one of Councilmember Johnson's questions. It's regarding the net zero fee. Uh, on page four, or sorry, on page seven of the staff report, the last bullet point states that the net zero fees are excluded from the debt coverage calculation. So, w what are we using those fees for? Um, I'd like to invite Kevin back up to answer that question. Or maybe I could take a stab at it, and then Kevin can add. So the, the fees will be used for the Ventura Water Pure program. Um, it's just that they cannot be counted um, in the debt coverage um, when we're uh, demonstrating to WIFIA that we meet the 1.2 ratio. Um, but in reality, we will actually be using that money um, to fund these projects. So, so why, sorry, so we're increasing the fee, we're the, uh, over the long term, because we can't count that money, because we've got to maintain that 1.2 for the debt service, but we've got this bank of money that we're collecting that we can't count towards it? Yes, and then once we, what we anticipate is after this period of increases, we'll be to be around the point where we have the necessary funds each year to make these payments, and after that we expect the rate increases would level off at that point. Um, but 
in order to demonstrate initially meeting these uh, various requirements um, of these of this financing, there are certain things we cannot count as a source of funds for meeting the debt coverage ratio. And so things like net zero, also what we're gonna collect from connection fees, um, we can't count that money as well, even though in all likelihood we are going to use that money when we're making these payments and funding the projects. Again, just so full transparency, can you, the next time, can we understand how, like as Councilmember Johnson brought up, how much we have and how much we're not counting? Because we're gonna be increasing fees on, based on money we actually have in the bank. Yes, that's correct. And we'll, we'll return with uh, that amount as requested. Um, and it's just in order to meet the requirements. But again, that money will be, it's just in order to meet those requirements in the short term, that money will be used in, um, over the, the repayment period right. in order to make the payments. We're talking about increasing people's rates. As Councilmember Campos was pointing out, we're increasing the cost of living, you know, based on this. So I want to make sure we completely understand that. Okay, absolutely. I think, um, Akbar? Uh, I think it's safe to say we'll come back to this one in two weeks, but uh, I appreciate the question being asked. It's a good one. I have a couple questions on slide 21, uh, or slide 20. Probably both of these. You're using 3.5%, um, which some might consider as a silly low number with inflation the way it is and assuming that water is going to be scarce in California, with the exception of this year, that's probably a good bet. Could you come back with uh, another look at this at whatever you think is not, uh, you said this was, the 3.5 I think might be not as realistic. I don't know if 5 or 6%, so that we could get a feeling for where we are relative to our neighbors that's probably more realistic. I'm, I'm not, uh, um, I know you gave us, a, you assumed a really low number for our neighbors to give us kind of a, a worst case scenario, but I think if you gave us five or 6% and, and redid this, that would help us as well. Thank you, Mayor Schrader. We can return with that and take a look at what, uh, what rates are uh, most realistic for the next five year period. On the um, stabilization fund, is that funded by fees? The rate stabilization fund will actually be seeded by cash the city already has on hand. Okay, and can fee income in the wastewater and water area go to the stabilization fund? I'll defer to Mr. Morley on that question. No, I'm Mr. Mayor, I'm assuming that you're talking about fee income outside of the, the rates. The answer is no. Okay. That, that money that is used for this rate stabilization is from ratepayer money. Is it possible to give us a break-even number that would say, um, so I know you when we go out, if you go to, I think, slide 19, and correct me here if I'm misguided, which there's a high probability of. So in those years where we're dipping down below the 1.2%, is there a way for you to come back in two weeks and tell us, here's the amount of money we'd have to have in the stabilization fund for us not to dip down in those years? Uh, yes, Mr. Mayor, um, to the best of our ability, but just understand that it's gonna be a fluctuating amount yeah. anyway. Okay. Okay, um, okay on, on grants, 
So we've been very successful getting grants, and I know we're going to spend a lot of time on that. And I think, uh, Ms. Barry, you mentioned some that we're applying for now, and they're 15 and 20 million. So uh, help me with the mathematics and the economics. So if we were to get $50 million over the next five years in grants for Ventura Water Pure, so would that $50 million then, in general terms, be applied um, towards the bond that we, that we may need, and then so that would lower the amount of the bond? Aaron, if you don't mind. I, I don't think so. The, 50, the additional grant money that we're going to be receiving is going to be, be applied towards future costs of the project. Okay, so help me with the economics then. So if you get $50 million, that has to lower the expense of the project. I think the $50 million is part of the projected cost of the project in total. The WIFI alone only pays for 49% of both of these two. Right, so the, so the $50 million then would apply not to the loan, but to the other 51%. It would apply towards the unfunded balance of the project itself. Okay, and did we make assumptions when, when you're out 10 and, and 12 years? So you, you assumed a certain um, bond in, in WIFI alone at certain rates or in certain quantities, correct? That's correct. And did you, assume, did, excuse me, did you assume that we would attract any grant money at all? Yes. Do you remember how much that was? So we're anticipating about $45 million total in grant funding for both programs. Um, I think to kind of, if I'm understanding your question correctly, um, if we were to obtain additional grant funding, how would that impact the cost of the project? Bingo. Um, if we obtained additional grant funding, that would reduce the principal of the anticipated municipal bonds, so the city would not have to take on as much debt to be able to finance the program. That would be supplemented by additional grants. Great. That's where I was going. So if, if, can you come back in uh, two weeks and tell us uh, what's the value of $10 million beyond your assumption? So if you were to get, instead of getting 45, you got 55, right? So for, we, I think it would help us understand that for every $10 million of grant money that we get above and beyond 45 million, that's going to lower expenses because it will lower the principal on the bond? Is that? Yes, yeah, we can absolutely do that analysis. I, it sounds like please correct me if I'm wrong, you're asking if we can look at not just the value of that, say, $10 million grant, but what would be the benefit to the community by not taking on the additional interest over a financing period by not having to take that debt on. Thank you, and thanks for understanding my, my, my question because I'm sure I didn't ask it the right way. So I, when I took a look um, at the material that you sent us, um, when I'm looking at the consent, consent degree, we could find $10,000 a day and penalties of $25,000 a day plus criminal penalties of $54,000 per violation if we don't meet the consent degree. Uh, thank you, Mayor Schrader. Yes, there are various uh, penalties and fines the city could face. Um, both in terms of the consent decree and 
the wastewater permit with the, the regional board um, if the city does not um, comply with the project um, that meets those requirements. Okay, so on a hypothetical, if, um, if we were to say no to the loan, I think you need to come back to us and tell us, can you meet the consent decree? And if you can't, then how late would we be and what would that cost us in penalties and fees? Is that possible? Uh, yes, we can come back with an estimate of how many fees we would accrue if we were uh, late by a year um, in complying with the consent decree and the NPDES permit. Um, and there's no prepayment penalties, I, I understand that. Is that correct? Thank you, that is correct. And the, the re-execution only applies um, between application approval and when we get the first um, loan amount? It's between the closing of the loan, which we're scheduled to close on April 11th, and when the first disbursement is taken. So when we ask for um, the first kind of set of funds. We don't, the city does not obtain the funds associated with the WIFIA agreement in one lump sum. We incur costs, we submit those costs to WIFIA, and we are reimbursed for those costs. Okay. Um, and this, um, so it's fixed rate. It's not going to adjust? That is correct. Okay. And what's the rate tied to? Uh, it's uh, tied to a uh, treasury bond of a similar maturity. Okay. My, my, my last, this is a comment more than anything else. I hate, uh, can you pull up the 7% increases and... Slide, I don't know what slide that is. You know which one I'm referring to? Yeah, there, there's a 6 and there's a 7%. So I think everybody in the city council and probably everybody in the, in the city, there's probably one thing we can agree on, and that is that everybody hates that. Um, but when, when you're talking about the state of California and, and our water problems, um, water is not going to get cheaper. Um, I have friends that are in Arizona, in that one area of Arizona, where they don't know if they're going to, ha they're having their water shipped in now by truck because their allocations have been cut from the Colorado River. Um, so I, I think we all hate this and probably hate it equally. Um, I, I think we're going to have a problem in the state with, with water and what it's going to do and it's going to impact um, lower and moderate income households significantly. So any other questions? Um, or am, I'm trying to think. Councilmember Duran, or have I not wiped this clean? Councilmember Johnson, you're good? Or I, I do have a, a question, yeah. Uh, for Mr. Alicon, um, in the spring, of course, we're supposed to have the rate check-in. Uh, will we be doing that as well? Uh, as per the rate study, I believe that's still on track to go to the Water Commission in the spring. Okay, thank you. And and I would just, you know, my own comment, one of these things is, um, you know, I, I was really disappointed when, when a prior council, not just the prior council, but a prior, prior, prior council, um, went ahead and, and signed off on going with indirect potable reuse. It added a lot of cost to the project. What's interesting now is we're going to have the regulations in place. Um, we could have pursued that and saved a lot of money um, as it is now. Um, we've got to pay 
to build pumps to pump it down to the aquifer. We've got to pay to run those pumps. Then we've got to have other pumps, and we've got to pay to pump the water back out. Will we also be paying? Will we also be paying fees for the extraction? Will we also be paying the extraction fees? On that water. You just opened the, the invoice. He's heard over there. Jeanette, can can you say in Spanish that there's a um I'm sorry, my my, my Spanish un poquito. I am so sorry, something in our interpreting room and you shouldn't be able to hear us. Sí, lo, los estamos escuchando. Perdón, pero no sabemos quién sabe. Qué duende se metió por acá. Okay. It's just a gremlin, sorry. Okay. Uh, so, so my question then was, uh, we're going to pump the water into the aquifer, and then we're going to go a couple miles away and pump it out. Will we be paying the extraction fees that we typically pay for, for pumping groundwater? Um, thank you for that question, Councilmember Johnson. That still needs to be determined with Fox Canyon Groundwater Management Agency and United Water Conservation District, but the city's position will be that because it's putting that water there, um, it should not pay any extraction fees um, when it takes it back out. Thank you so much. I, those are my comments and questions, and I'm done now. Thank you, Mayor. Councilmember Halter. Yes, uh, Mr. Mayor, I wasn't sure if we were just doing questions and then going to public comment and then having any comments after that, because if not, I do have a general comment. Uh, fly with a comment. Am I all right on that, Mr. City Clerk? He says I'm all right. My bad. Okay, I just want to share that uh, for me, I tend to be a big picture person, and I know that we're just what we're discussing tonight is what's exactly in our purview, and I totally get it, totally understand it. And like uh, our mayor, it's you swallow really hard. But the reality that I wanted to just generally say is this: is that um, this state has already done so much to try to conserve water and to do the right things. They'll look for other sources. We, this is the, yet the latest phase of how do we provide the water needs to at least live comfortably. Because I will, I will say that we are on the verge of conserving so much that it's taken away the quality of our life. I think green, whether it be urban forest or landscape, or cleanliness around us um, is suffering over 22 years of drought, not three or four years, but 22 years of drought. And um, when you look at $350 million and look at the top, the uh, 150 largest cities in California and times that by $350 million, and then you look at the next 300 cities across the West who are suffering the same pl uh, plight that we're suffering, you're talking trillions, if not tens of trillions of dollars. And from a state that is so naturally blessed with so much to the point that we offer 50 to 70% of all the fruits and vegetables for this nation with our agriculture. And that's only by touching 86% of the water that we don't use for our environment is used for agriculture. 14% is used for residential and commercial. And as you know, as water rates go up, what we're also doing is pushing out our businesses to go other places because they need water. 
So surely there's somebody, some entity, I hate to say the federal government, <laughs> but that is looking at the big picture of how can we get water to the West, to the place that grows our food, to the place that offers a fantastic quality of life, in a way that we could actually enjoy living in the sunshine and the beauty that this world offers. Can you and wrap this one up here? Or? That's my final point. Okay. Is my is this that the bigger picture? There has to be. This is only our a microcosm of what every city is doing, and I, I just hope and pray that um, there's others out there looking at the bigger picture. That's my point. Uh, Mr. City Clerk, have we received um, emails, or do we have public comments on this? Thank you, Mr. Mayor. No emails were received and no public comments on item number 12. Okay, final council deliberation or a motion? No, no formal motion is required as this is a receive and file. Okay. Um, thank you very much, staff. Uh, we'll go on to item number 13 and after 13 we'll take a break. Um, we have a staff presentation. I think it's Mr. City Clerk. Yep. Okay, my apologies for the musical chairs. I'm down one at the moment. Uh, Mr. Mayor, Madam Deputy Mayor, and members of the council, my name is Michael McDonald. I'm your city clerk, and I'm here to report back on Spanish interpretation at city council meetings. So uh, as some of you may remember, on September 12th of 2022, council approved a six-month pilot program for interpretation at city council meetings. On September 26th, of 2022, the city clerk launched in-person interpretation for all city council meetings. Additionally, city clerk and IT staff met with the county of Ventura to help inform permanent solutions as the county has a, a robust interpretation uh, program and has the uh, audiovisual technology to support that. So we did meet with them to learn about best practices. In addition to launching the Spanish interpretation program, we also did outreach. The outreach included uh, in collaboration with our communications team, our website, through social media. We did a newsletter in the My Ventura newsletter. Additionally, we developed materials for the council meeting. You can see some of those examples here. And uh, in addition to the outreach materials, we also met with community groups. We met with the community groups to hear from them and to have a better idea of what the needs are of the community. So in terms of the interpretation services, we did utilize all languages interpreting and translating as you all have noticed uh, in the back of the room, set up in the conference room, that provides us with live two-way interpretation for our in-person attendees, as well as a virtual Spanish audio channel for our virtual attendees. 
Uh, one of the limitations with WebEx is the uh, inability to record videos from the Spanish channel. So originally I had reported that we would potentially have the opportunity to record in the Spanish channel and have those videos posted to the website. Unfortunately, WebEx does not allow anyone but the host to record a video and the host of the meeting is in the English channel. So we are still working through uh, capabilities of being able to do that. So over the last six months, I wanted to provide you with a little bit of data in terms of the utilization of live interpreters here. Uh, some of the considerations to, uh, to, to consider are the limited time frame. So again, this was a six-month pilot program. We also experienced resource constraints uh, in both funding and in staff, uh, as we, we do not currently have a, a, a staff interpreter, and limited data. So that's why we are back here today at the end of the six months with a recommendation to continue the program because six months was not enough time for us to collect data. I did want to highlight here some of the items of interest that folks did come out and utilize headsets for. You can see the numbers there from our meetings over the last six months. Some of the meetings uh, items of interest were the special audit, Spanish interpretation, inclusionary housing, and the budget workshop. As we look towards the recommendation for launching a Spanish translation pilot program, I did want to highlight that the re recommendation is for a pilot program. This will give us an six months, an additional six months, for staff to explore different options for translating city council agendas only. Uh, there are different options to choose from. For example, we are currently going through an upgrade of our website. There could potentially be uh, the ability to translate an agenda on our website. We're testing that capability. Uh, other agencies, for example, use Google Translate as an option, and then of course there are outside vendors. So this is a pilot program, and the pilot program means we are going to explore these different options to be able to come back to council at the end of the six months with recommendations on how to move forward. Of course, some things to consider when we're talking about translation is the accuracy of the document, the cultural nuances that impact the translation of the document itself, and the turnaround time. When utilizing an outside source, for example, it could potentially take us 48 hours to 72 hours to get a document back to us that's fully translated. And then, of course, we have to consider the cost of the translation services as well. Uh, all with the goal here, the deliverables as I've identified here uh, originally in our program, the goal is to increase accessibility, improve communication, and uh, enhance civic engagement. Now, these are very difficult to measure, as you all know, uh, and so this um, translation pilot program is an additional tool in our toolbox to help us be able to measure against those deliverables. What are other cities doing? As we look towards our neighbors, neighbors you'll notice here that uh, interpretation programs do exist. For the most part, they are by request only, 72 hours in advance. The city of Oxnard does, however, offer interpretation at all city council meetings. You'll also notice the translation column here. Uh, currently in Ventura County, including the county itself, no agency is providing translation. So the city of Ventura will be the first in that regard. And I did just want to highlight the county of Ventura, for example, does provide translated materials uh, depending on what agency. So two agencies do provide, the planning agency and the healthcare agency, for example. While they don't provide translated agendas, they do provide translated community uh, materials when, when staff determines that uh, the community, either by request or uh, has a high impact to the community. Financial impact uh, is a total cost estimate, about $16,000 to add in the translation and the interpretation services here. 
And my recommendations for you this evening are uh, first recommendation to continue the live two-way Spanish interpretation for all city council meetings for the next six months. The second recommendation is direct staff to begin a pilot program for making city council agendas available in Spanish. I do want to point out that since this is a pilot program, I want to uh, ensure that we are uh, measuring expectations here as we do not anticipate the March 20th or March 27th agendas, for example, to be translated as we start looking at additional options uh, in the next six months. And then the last recommendation here is to report back to council in six months with an update on the program itself. That concludes my presentation and I'm available for any questions. City Council, uh, Councilmember Campos. Yes, I would ask if while you're evaluating the cost of interpreting the agendas, you would ask for an evaluation of the cost of the entire website to be translatable. There are websites, I think the school district may have one, where they can choose the language at the beginning and see the entire website. That may make it a lot easier to understand what's going on also at meetings. Sure, thank you for that, Councilmember Campos. Our current website does have that functionality to be able to select the language. One of the challenges is, is that we attach the agenda as an attachment, for example. And so attachments are not, uh, do not fall under the category of being able to be translated by the website, but our, our website does currently have that technology available for folks to be able to choose the language that they'd like the website in. And, uh, and I imagine uh, as we uh, update the website, we'll have increased capabilities in that regard. But one of our challenges, again, is that when they are attachments to the website is where we struggle with being able to, to get the translation. In, in that case, then, when the agenda is translated, the attachments on the agenda are not likely to be translated. That's correct, yes. And I do, uh, thank you for that uh, question, Councilmember Campos. I do also want to highlight that this recommendation is for city council agendas only and not the staff reports. One of the challenges that we have with the staff reports, for example, is, is we could be looking at a thousand page staff report. And so one estimate that I have on a thousand page staff report is a full week turnaround, four or five day turnaround time. And so while I'm very happy we were able to publish the agenda seven days in advance, it still doesn't give us the leeway to be able to translate the staff materials. And so the hope is with the translation of the agenda that we will be able to work with our community partners to help us in, in, uh, in working with the community in regards to the specific items once they're identified. Thank you. Thank you. Deputy Mayor Sanchez Palacios. Yeah, that was exactly gonna be my question in terms of the attachments and the staff reports, um, if they were gonna be able to get translated. Um, hearing your response to that, I'm, I'm, I, I have, I guess, uh, my, my hesitation with Google Translate is, is huge because it's not adequate in many of the times. And so um, just hoping that we could, you know, even with the interpreters that we have now, maybe ask them to provide or give us some direction as to where we can get some adequate translation services um, in regards to the website or the agenda because Google Translate is not. Yes. It's yeah. not great. Thank you for that, uh, Deputy Mayor Sanchez-Palacios. You are right that Google Translate alone is not really an option for us. What other jurisdictions do, for example, in San Diego, is the agency will take the first stab at the translation with Google Translate and send that to a professional translator to then edit the document and ensure that the translation 
um, is accurate. The other thing is the cultural nuances, right? Google Translate doesn't pick up on the cultural nuances, whereas here, uh, a, a good portion of our Spanish speakers are from Mexico, and so that Spanish is different than from Spain, for example, and so those cultural nuances do matter, and they're not caught in the Google Translate. So we will, we will be working with our current interpreters uh, on suggestions and recommendations, and we as well will be exploring other options as well. Councilmember Johnson. Thank you, I have a question for Mr. Alicon and Mr. McDonald. Um, you know, we now have had a council meeting where we had an agenda a full week in advance. And so my question for you is how awesome is that? <laughs> um, am I correct in assuming that, that um, really getting a handle on these things will then make it easier to get a, a Spanish translation of the agenda out in a timely fashion as well? Yes, uh, thank you, Councilmember Johnson. You are right, I agree that uh, it is awesome that we got our agenda out in seven days, so thank you for that. Uh, and absolutely, you, you are right. The more leeway that we build in and give ourselves, uh, it gives us the opportunity to be able to do this. And so I do also just wanna highlight that with the agenda, for example, I do anticipate a one or two day turnaround time on the agenda. So if we publish the agenda seven days in advance, that means that the Spanish agenda could potentially come the day after or, uh, or two days later, depending on when I have a draft agenda that can then be sent for translation. Thank you, and then my last thing, I, I don't know how to form it in a question, um, so I'll just, I'll save it until after we hear public comments. Thank you, Mayor. Councilmember McReynolds. Just a quick question in terms of the uh, video. So are we just married to WebEx? And so thank you for that question, uh, Councilmember McReynolds. I am not married to WebEx, and uh, Zoom, for example, does have capabilities of being able to record those, uh, those meetings, and so that is part of, uh, earlier this evening on your consent items, we had an audio-visual upgrade uh, on there. Those are things that we have explored with the vendor um, in being able to increase our capabilities and also being able to see if Zoom can work with our, our current technology and in the direction that we're going. Uh, that could potentially be a recommendation moving forward when we come back after the six months that uh, the recommendation could potentially be that WebEx doesn't support the features that we're looking to accomplish. Uh, that very well may be a recommendation. And I just want to compliment you and your staff on delivering really 21st century customer service, so great job. Thank you, I appreciate that. Councilmember Duran. Just to follow up uh, with his question, and thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Uh, the, um, the WebEx situation, like with Zoom, you just get another account and then and you could you could do it with another account. Does WebEx not offer that, just to purchase another account? Sure, thank you for that question, Councilmember Durant. So we have a government account, and we have to um, assign accounts to it, for example. Uh, enough said. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I have a question, if you're done, Councilmember. So artificial intelligence, have they made any inroads in interpretation? Sure, and uh, Mr. Mayor, I appreciate that, that question. We did have a demo from uh, an AI-based, uh, it's called Wordly, and uh, some jurisdictions like uh, up north in the city of Gilroy, for example, has implemented Wordly as an AI-based solution. They're running at about an 89% accuracy rate. It's better than a Google Translate, um, and it could potentially even be better than an in-person uh, interpreter as well, uh, as we've heard from other agencies. Really, the accuracy matters when you're choosing your interpreters. Uh, and translators, and so that could potentially be an option that we explore, and I think uh, my staff, after doing that demo, we were, we were really impressed in it. 
uh, with the technology, and that could potentially be a, a conversation when we're ready to expand the program, for example. Uh, but it's definitely in the equation, and it's something that we'll be exploring over the next uh, six months and, and as we continue down this path to look at AI solutions. So they are, they are getting much better. The answer is yes, they are getting much better, and that could potentially be an option moving forward. It wasn't an option for us just yet because it still requires folks to have the technology in their hand. So if we use an AI base, it still requires folks to have a phone in their hand and headphones on them to be able to access the meeting, put headphones on, and use the interpretation services, for example. So uh, it's, it's definitely uh, a part of what we're considering moving forward. Okay, thank you. Other questions? Uh, Mr. City Clerk, do we have uh, public comments on we this? We do, and if you don't mind, I'm gonna do a little musical chairs yeah. and jump back. Our first speaker is Casey Rodriguez, followed by Francisco Figueroa. Haku, hello. I feel it's kind of ironic that I am here in support of Spanish translation. Growing up, quite frankly, I didn't want anything to do with Spanish language because I knew my Shumash ancestors were first to speak the Spanish language when we were on mission in the mission. In fact, we would be bitten. We would be bitten, if not worse, if we were heard speaking our native language. However, as I have grown older and wiser, I have come to truly desire to attempt to love all who live on my ancestral homeland. If my heart can understand the importance of showing love to Spanish-speaking people in the gift of translation, and I'm willing to help make sure they are given the tools needed to freely use their voice, I'm sure your hearts can see the beauty that will come by continuing to give translation as well. Not only do these tools give them the freedom to use their voice, but also helps them become more aware of what's going on in the city they live in and pay tax dollars too. I say aware because I know many Spanish-speaking people are already active in the city, especially on the rest side. One of these peoples is my friend Maria Davalos, who is here tonight using the translation tools. I am grateful she is here being a strong advocate for her people and has the tools to fully engage tonight. I love you, Maria. Thank you. Our next speaker is Francisco Figueroa, followed by Yvonne Quintero Cagnacci. Buenas noches, este, Good evening. Honorable Presidente de la Ciudad. Honorable President of the City. Y persona distinguida del Consejo. And distinguished people of the City Council. Mi nombre es Francisco Figueroa. My name is Francisco Figueroa. More than anything. I want to congratulate the women because we had Women's Month and these two women are representing us here and all women of Ventura. I wish to support translation into Spanish so that our community, because our community really needs that service. And one of the basic principles of civilization is communication. 
In a city that is growing so fast, like Ventura, which is a cosmopolitan city, we do need to understand each other among cultures. You have been elected democratically by people that perhaps don't have fluent English in their communities, but they do need to have you hear them. And you need them to have them understand you. Maybe not for six months. Maybe permanently. Because that will speak about Ventura as a city. That is truly including everyone. And this is necessary for this city to grow with equity. Thank you for your support of this translation system. Good evening. Our next speaker is Yvonne Quintero Kiknachi, followed by Miguel Rodriguez. Um, good evening, Mayor Shorter and um, all other city council members. Thank you for having this topic on the agenda. And thank you for already providing top tier local interpretation. And um, I am really um, happy that you're doing this as it is a passion of mine. Uh, my entire life, uh, my earliest vocation would be interpreter translator um, professionally. I'm also an interpreter translator, um, having completed the formal education at California U University Northridge, State University Northridge, sorry. Um, and for having been in this profession such a long time, um, I apologize for getting nervous as interpreting is a very different context for me <laughs> than it is to come up here and speak as a private citizen. Um, my background, um, for better or for worse, includes um, in my immediate family, high-functioning uh, brain-injured mother who primarily only speaks Spanish and has been in this country for well over three decades and now proudly can't speak English. Mental illness, chronic and grave mental illness is also in my family as well as homelessness and addiction. At 44 years old, I can provide you plethora of examples, not only within my family, both and outside my family working in environments where translation services have um, been needed and I've been able to provide. Um, I think um, a large percentage 
or rather I, I see a large percentage either of native Spanish speakers who do not speak another language, as well as limited English proficient speakers who would actually greatly struggle to even access services or access um, any of the information that's um, discussed here in your chambers. And um, I do think that that's negligent um, on our part, um, considering that they're not only taxpayers, but many of them are voter eligible. Um, therefore, I think providing language access and maybe even civic education is very important for this population. I understand that when a population reaches anywhere between three to five percent is when um, state or public agencies are guided by many laws already in place in California to provide language access services. In my experience working um, with marginalized groups, working at the council, NAMI, it's very important. Thank you. Our next speaker is Miguel Rodriguez, followed by Matt Bello. Good evening, uh, council members, mayor, uh, everybody. Uh, my name is Miguel Rodriguez. Um, this issue is actually very um, close to my heart. I grew up here in Ventura. And I was a kid that learned, the immigrant kid from Mexico that learned to speak English, uh, you know, faster than everybody else in his block, no? So what that meant was that everybody and their mother came to my mother to ask her, hey, can we borrow your son to go buy a car? Hey, uh, you know, this happened and we need to buy a cemetery plot. Hey, this, so I learned a lot during that time. And eventually I recognized uh, later and, uh, you know, later in life through my reflections that, uh, you know, I learned a sense of purpose through being able to give people a voice. And that in itself uh, has guided my, my professional uh, journey. But most importantly, you know, one of the funny things here is that if you actually Google my cell phone number, one of the first things that pops up is a document that I translated for the city of Ventura when I was um, uh, a community organizer for cause and this document was actually about park access and uh, the west side plan and it's a you know it's about a 10 year old document but for the longest time everybody that that looked me up on on google right thought that i was the official translator for the city of ventura which you know doesn't is not really the truth but um, another thing that occurred was that the friends of the ventura river were looking for somebody to translate the the ventura river parkway plan and uh, because i had you know, the calling, I, I did it for them. And so there's uh, some of these copies of this really uh, fancy, uh, you know, uh, plan um, that's just circulating with <laughs> literally with my translation on it. So really what I'm here to say is that, um, you know, professionally I recognize that there are a lot of people that benefit from this. Um, I've been using this through my professional work in multiple public agencies. Um, but, you know, just really always keep in mind that there's, a lot of tools. For example, you don't have to translate the entire document. You could do an executive summary, right? I, I did that for the Port of Wainimi's uh, master or um, tenure plan, right? Um, I also have done a lot of. Um, you know, yeah, Google is not the most perfect thing, but you know, it can get you out of a bind. Um, and most importantly, right now you have a, a really great service that I have vetted for many years, uh, and I think that you should try to retain it as much as you can. In uh, six months is literally for $16,000 is a drop in the bucket for some of the expenditures that uh, you know cities can incur. 
And ultimately, I think um, going back to uh, you know the true nature of this is, you know, uh, part of the reason why a lot of these uh, halls aren't filled with Spanish speakers is because we need to train our outreach staff and community outreach and community engagement and community organizing so that they can give out the message and get those people here. So thank you for that and have a great night. Thank you for serving. Our next speaker is Matt Bello, followed by Ophelia Rodriguez. Is there a timer or? Um... Uh, the timer will start as soon as you do. Oh, okay, thank you. All right, well this is near and dear to my heart as well. Um, I grew up near uh, uh, Sadekoy and, and Cabrillo Village and I've lived on the avenue for a long time now. Um, I worked as a busboy at Eric Erickson's on the pier for four years and I learned Spanish uh, on the pier, actually. I saved enough money to move to Mexico and uh, study at a university there and I, now I'm able to communicate with my neighbors and it's, uh, I can't tell you it's one of the biggest gifts of my life to be able to co communicate with my Spanish-speaking neighbors. The deep heritage, you know. Francisco talking to him about, you know, the history of Mexico, you know, looking at, you know, the, the yells to end slavery in 1810, and, you know, they, uh, Mexico ended slavery in 1829, you know, uh, 30 years before the Emancipation uh, pro Proclamation. Um, or talking about Simon Bolivar in, uh, in South America with Francisco, you know, he's one of my neighbors. He has so much to offer our city in a perspective. And, you know, looking at, at Maria, she's gotten two of her uh, daughters through UCLA, through, through hard manual labor over decades. And uh, they're just two shining examples of the avenue of so many of the people that I meet that are so determined and have such um, incredible views and come from such a deep heritage of, uh, of, of struggle and looking for, uh, for more empowerment and liberty. And I think that I just want to commend you guys for really seriously considering this. I think it's really going to enrich uh, the culture of, of this council. Um, and I also want to just say it's part of our history as well. You know, um, in 1849, when this became a territory of the U.S., our first constitution, um, actually had an article that required bilingualism in California. And we had bilingualism when we were adopted as a state in 1850, and that, that actually lasted until 1879. Unfortunately, you know, the, the Pete Wilsons of those, of those days uh, were able to get rid of it. But um, we still even had interpretation in California up until the 1930s. Uh, during the height of the of xenophobia. I'm sure you guys have read about, you know, a lot of the racism towards Braceros at that time and everything. So it's part of our deep heritage, you know. It's part of our modern life as well. Uh, Miami's been a bilingual city since 1973. I can't really think of very many cities that are more, you know, proud American cities in Miami, you know. So anyone that, any Pete Wilson type of person that wants to say that bilingualism is going to fracture society, I'd say just look at Miami and there's an antidote for you. So either way, I'm just very happy that you guys are considering this. Um, our, our community here has been here for hundred, hundreds of years. Uh, they've brought so much to our, to our city, as you guys all know, and um, giving them more of a voice is, is gonna do nothing but enrich uh, our, our culture here. So, so thank you, appreciate it. And our final speaker is Ophelia Rodriguez. Good evening, everyone. Particularly today, I want to tell you that I would be so grateful for you to 
continue to have the Spanish language. Why? I have two daughters. They're adults. And I have a younger boy. You've seen him here with me. When I became a widow, it was so very hard for me. For my oldest daughter, who was only one and a half year old, the other one, six months, I had to suffer with my children. No one would give me the opportunity to have translation at a job. I had to look for work in places where I had to put a put forth the effort to speak English. My English is not perfect. But Spanish has opened so many doors for me, enormous big doors for my daughters. I have a daughter who's graduated as a chemist biologist from the university. My second daughter is a sociologist. My second daughter continues to study. My youngest son loves, loves, loves math. So at home, the rules are these. You speak Spanish at home, you speak English in school. That is my rule at home. Why? Because when I was a single mom of my daughters, it was so very hard. Doors were slammed on my face. I'm not offending anyone, but white people didn't want us Latin people because we spoke Spanish. They said we were less than. We're not less than. We've always given what we can give to everyone. Spanish is something that if you were to realize how wonderful it is to speak this language. I love English. It drives me crazy. I love it. I love my language. And I love English. But that's why I am here, because I want you to be aware that languages do not stop. And they do not separate us. They unite us. I don't know how else to explain it to you. But in my home, we speak both languages. I have those daughters that have gotten ahead with two languages. Their salaries are really good. Why not continue to support Spanish? So if you speak two languages, you're worth more. You speak three languages, you're worth it. That is the way I think about this. I hope you understand the why we should continue with languages in schools, in the streets. We should have that gift of knowing each other through languages. It's beautiful. And thank you for focusing and giving us that time to have the languages unite us, not just unite us, but make us all into one family. So thank you so much. And I hope you do understand that I love English, I love Spanish, I love both roots. And thank you for listening to all of us, truly. Thank you. And that concludes our public speakers on item number 13. Councilmember Johnson. Thank you so much, Mr. Mayor. Uh, you know, I, I appreciated all the public comments. I certainly think that when we're talking about what is really such a small amount of money, this is this is a no-brainer. Um, I, I will note that um, this has gotten a whole lot more uh, council attention than some of the things on the consent calendar that were 16 times the size of this. Um, 
I hope as we look at going forward, not, not only that we continue this beyond the next six months and continue it, but that we look at ways to, uh, to improve what we're doing and to offer more services. Um, one of them would be as we move towards that uh, 21st century communication with the public, that then we make sure that anybody who speaks English or Spanish has no trouble reaching out to the city to ask a question or report a pothole or get some guidance on a permit, uh, especially with technology and also with being able to do asynchronous communication. I'm sure we can do much better with that. I, I like the, I, I didn't make a note of who suggested it. I think it was Yvonne, the suggestion about some sort of education that, that we could be doing about how our government works. Um, and that would not just be in, in Spanish language, but, but um, I know the League of Women Voters in particular has been very interested in a program like that. There are a lot of people who are intimidated to ever even come to a city hall meeting, and, and it would be good to get past that. Uh, the last thing I will throw out there, you know, certainly staff reports, I, I don't see any way that those could be translated. Um, but it would be great if, if what we looked at was getting to a point where the PowerPoint presentations were available in Spanish, since those really are that summary, the key issues that are identified in the big staff report. Um, obviously, that's outside the scope of where we are tonight, but I, I want to thank staff for bringing this to us. I am really looking forward to continuing this. I am so glad that we're doing it for another six months. It was always important to me that we did it for at least a year so that we have a full city council cycle. And that includes what we're gonna be dealing with, uh, especially with the budget. And I feel so much better about going through the process about things like the budget, the housing element, um, knowing that we're able to bring in many more people from our community and hear their voices. And so uh, with that, I would move staff's recommendation. Um, do I have a second? I second. Um, I think Ms. Campos, uh, yeah. Councilmember Campos, you have a, some comments? Yes, I do. Um, a, a little over 20 years ago, I moved to Ventura and moved on to the avenue. At that time, I didn't know a lot of Spanish. And being in a wheelchair, though, I knew barriers. And I met the most wonderful community, the most intelligent people, the hardest working people. And really, the key is that word community. There's no neighborhood in Ventura that has the community that the avenue has. And it's because every single person no matter what language they speak, reach out to each other. Tonight, we had speakers that run the gamut. Francisco Figueroa is one of the most intelligent people I know, like Matt Bellow said. He, he knows so much, and he gives so much to the community, as does his wife, Maria. They're both currently board members of the Westside Community Council. Yvonne Quintero Cadnosca, can't pronounce your name, Yvonne, I apologize. Kegnasi is also a member of the board of the Westside Community Council and currently their interpreter. You may remember her, some of you, from standing with the tenants last April and May asking for this community, this council's help for their community. They're not slough-offs, they're hard-working people. Every one of them 
deserves to be fully engaged in their government. I mean, some of their level of understanding already without classes puts us to shame. And so I speak for my community and say, it's great that we may want to do this for six months. Gee, we already spent $16,000. And tonight we talked about $173 million for Ventura Water Pure. Let's take care of my community. Thank you. Deputy Mayor Sanchez Palacios. Thank you. Um, and Council Member Johnson, you beat me to it, but that's okay. Um, yeah, I just, I certainly um, agree that this is a, a drop in the bucket, like um, one of our speakers mentioned. Uh, it is crucial for us to be able not just to communicate with the community, but also to hear them as well, and to be able to have that open access for them to express themselves and for us to understand them. Um, I grew up translating for my parents um, when, they, when we immigrated here um, because they didn't speak English, and I didn't either, but I made up words and I figured it out, and. <laughs> You know, and a lot of the kids that I see here, that is what they do for their parents too, you know, and their parents are relying on their translation and, uh, and we don't get it right, <laughs> you know, as kids. And so um, I appreciate that they are um, here and advocating for themselves and advocating for language access, which I'm fully in support of and um, would certainly uh, support this going beyond the six months. But for now, I appreciate the motion and I will be supporting it. Um, 14 years ago, I came to Ventura as the president and CEO of Ventura County Credit Union. The credit union was um, viewed as being advanced because they had one Spanish speaker in each branch and we paid extra an hourly wage for that. And so when I took a tour in my first week of the branches, I went into our Oxnard branches, I went to Port Wainimi, I went to the Ventura branch, and in many cases, there was more Spanish than English. So I came back to the then vice president of operations and said, why do we only pay one? There's people obviously waiting. So we opened it up within a really short period of time. The credit union never saw growth like that in the next three years. And I think there's no doubt in my mind it was tied into that. I think in Ventura, I think at four or five branches, I think everybody's bilingual and we pay extra for it. So I think from a retail standpoint, it makes good business. And I think it means it's good business for the city. So this is an easy one for me. Uh, Councilmember Campos. I, I would just like to add um, there are a lot of places where people go that they need interpreting and don't have it. Sometimes it's the library or the grocery store or a gas station. But in the state of California, we interpret in hospitals. We interpret in laboratories. We interpret in the courts. I think government should offer interpretation. Councilmember Duran. Thank, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, you know, I, I'm obviously in agreement with all of this. I mean, my grandparents came from Sinapano, Michoacan, and I grew up on the avenue, and I'm very familiar with the culture. I'm very familiar, I, like 
I, I get it. I, what I would love to see, and, and I'm speaking to, to everyone who needs translation, is more use of it. I mean, when we look at these numbers that are on the report, they're low. And, you know, we could talk outreach, uh, we need to share, well, let's share that amongst each other. Let's, let's get that word out. So these, these, um, this is being used. This is a great service. And so, you know, I would just encourage each and every one of you that want this to continue to spread that word because I think it's important. Thank Deputy you. Mayor Sanchez Palacios. Sorry, yes, I meant to mention that I believe we have a new communication, community outreach specialist, Alejandra Belalcazar, and I'd hate to assume that she speaks Spanish, but I hope that she does. And so I think that's just a, a one welcome, Alejandra, but two, um, we, we want to make that effort to ensure that we have um, language access. Uh, Mr. McDonald, you're a Spanish speaker? A little, si. Sí. Sí, un poquito. Entendiendo todo, pero no hablo mucho. I don't speak much, but I understand a lot. We thought so with that last name. That's the, <laughs> yeah. the special Scottish branch of the Hispanics. We'll take a vote now. Um, thank you. Okay, on item number 13, go ahead and enter your vote now. Okay, all votes have been entered. Seven ayes and the motion carries. Thanks a lot. We're gonna take a 10 minute break. Come back, we have two meaty items after this. Thank you for everyone who showed up.
that Mr. Nelson, you have a presentation for us. Let me make sure you're drinking water when I ask you that. Yes, Mr. Mayor, thank you very much. Mr. Mayor, Deputy Mayor, members of the council, for the record, I'm Phil Nelson, your Public Works Director. Tonight we'll be having a study session on our proposed capital improvement program for fiscal years 24 through 28. Uh, there will be no council action required at the end. It really is an opportunity to uh, provide, provide an opportunity for council to ask questions or give us direction regarding the document that we transmitted to you in January. So I'll briefly touch on uh, what we have completed uh, the last or the current fiscal year. We're projecting what we'll complete through the end of the current fiscal year. The projects that we deleted from the previous uh, capital improvement program, the ones that we're adding, a brief financial overview. We'll have a, a kind of recap on the potential conflicts of interest and the activity that's going on there and that will occur between now and when we adopt or when your council adopts. And then the next steps and hopefully do that fairly quickly and leave more time for discussion and any questions you might have. So in terms of what was completed, projecting to the end of this fiscal year, this is just what was completed in the current fiscal year. We've got the three projects that you see on the screen and the total amount that's uh, added up there. You might ask, you know, we, why not more projects? We have more in the mill. You can see we have six that are currently in construction. Uh, some of them will complete probably this summer or early fall. We have another 64 that are either in planning or design. So we have quite a bit in the pipeline um, and it just worked out that we had the three here that are shown that are completed this fiscal year. And what, is, what you see on the screen are uh, two of those projects. Interesting to know both uh, were either entirely or mostly funded with grants. We are able to get quite a bit of grant funding that we use mostly in transportation. On the left, you see the Montalvo Safe Routes to School, which is really very near the end of construction. We will be done by the end of June. We'll have a ribbon cutting probably sometime in April. You can see what that looked like before and then during construction and after. Then on the right-hand side, uh, you may recall there's a bike path along the 26, but there's always been a big gap. And this project uh, filled in that gap, as you can see, the grassy area and then the way it was finished up. Uh, and that one is complete. That one was 100% uh, grant funded. In terms of the deleted projects, I'm not going to read through each one. They're, they're here. They were also... Um, in our staff report in January, and then the one for this evening, of course. You can see the projects that are listed and the reason why they were deleted and the approximate project cost. Um, and I'm happy to, when we get to questions and answers, answer any more detailed questions you might have on those. In terms of the eight new projects, uh, these, of course, were also listed in January. Uh, we can speak about or answer questions on any specific ones you might have. The project information sheets were included with the staff report, so really that's the bulk of the information that I have. The one that you see there with the yellow star is one that is new. It um, has been added since we transmitted in January. It's for what we refer to as the INET, which is really an internal city fiber optic network connecting city facilities. This is a project that will leverage the traffic signal upgrade project, which will be going to construction here, we hope, very soon. 
uh, but using that backbone then to replace INET-1, our current network, which has really come to end of life. Uh, we've got a grant. IT was able to get a grant to begin the, the design of that project, and then we'll pursue some grant funding for the actual build. The next few slides are some pie charts uh, that just show kind of where, how the money is distributed. This first one um, reflects the entire uh, CIP, the program, which includes, if you recall, the work plan, which are those projects for which we have uh, some partial funding, if not full funding, and we're planning on working on over the next five years. Uh, and then the next slides, we'll, we'll dig a little uh, finer detail on those. The work plan also, or this slide, excuse me, also includes, as I said, the work plan, then also all those projects for which we have submitted grant applications we feel, per, or intend to, that we feel very confident that we'll get that money. You can see that, no surprise, especially after seeing the Ventura Water Pure presentation, a lot of the spend is in the Ventura Water Pure, the, or Ventura Water Program and Ventura Water Pure, as you can see those big wedges. The next one is the streets and transportation. That's where we get a lot of that grant funding. The two projects I just showed you a good example. Main Street Bridge is one that's in here that's also gonna be a big spend coming up. Probably worth noting in the green diamond, about half of these, little or half of these projects, and again, remember, this is a five-year plan we're talking about. We have the funding for about half of it. Um, the other half is unfunded. That's really the outer years, three years three through five. Um, the, a lot of the funding that will come up will be Measure O or gas tax or SB1 that hasn't officially been allocated yet, but we have a high level of confidence that we would receive that money, so that's why we include it here. So taking that pie chart and then looking at it in those two categories, if you will, this is the work plan piece. Again, these are the projects that we, are, that we have planned to work on over the next five years for which we have funding. Uh, again, the big slices are in the water, wastewater program, streets and transportation. The other smaller slices, really that is, uh, the funding for those is generally all general fund, measure O, or a grant is pretty much how we get most of that, if not all of that work uh, done. And then the other piece of the program are those grant projects. Uh, and the big slice here then changes to streets and transportation, the big piece being the Main Street Bridge, which is almost all of that $60 million. And then for comparison, this is what's in the book, uh, but not part of the program. So meaning it's all the backlog of projects. We want to keep track of them. They're viable projects or things we, we uh, either really want to do or need to do, but we just don't have the funding for right now or haven't identified a source, so we don't have them planned to work on. Um, but you can see it's a significant amount there, number, both the number of projects and dollar value. You know, we're always hopeful for grants and the federal funds that are being made available now and otherwise, um, but this is where the backlog is. I did want to make a, a note of the council's recent goals, uh, this one in particular, improving conditions of uh, certain infrastructure. Public works, we're reading that to mean primarily streets, sidewalks, ADA ramps, and bike paths. And I wanted to, to put the slide in here just to um, communicate to council, we're aware of your goal and what, what you would like us to do. Each one of those asset categories is part of an asset management 
program. The program requirements you see bulletized on the right. Um, each one is probably maybe in a different stage of maturity, I'll say. Streets being the most mature, perhaps, um, and maybe ADA ramps or bike paths, not as much. But we're making plans to bring those up, um, at least to, a, to more rigorous management program, I would say, which would include the, the inventory. We have an inventory of everything pretty well. Uh, the assessment of the assets varies by type. Uh, but we have plans and have put in budget requests, for example, in sidewalks to do a more thorough as, as assessment of the entire network of 400 miles. We do have service levels for each of those, and then that will drive kind of a maintenance and repair strategy and the required funding. Point being is we do intend to come back to your council uh, in the near future to talk about each one of those, what our plans are for meeting your goal and then what type of funding or what we would be asking, you know, that we would need to be able to implement that. But having said that, I would like to, to show from this slide, in those categories that you see on the screen, street resurfacing and maintenance, the sidewalks and ADA ramps, the second column is what we have spent uh, the last three years, this year included and the two previous years, about $12 million total. The next three years, we are projecting or have plans to spend almost 85% more, 85% increase in those categories. So street resurfacing going from 7.6 to 15.6 million. So we'd already made plans to, to improve, make improvements in those uh, areas and bring those assets up to a better uh, condition. Uh, but we're not satisfied with just doing that. We'll still come back and do, as I had mentioned, give you a more detailed report out on where we are with each one and, and what we think we would need to improve those conditions. The potential conflicts of interest, uh, I know the city attorney sent uh, the council email this morning providing some information on at least our initial analysis of which projects could potentially be a conflict of interest for each council member based on the Fair Political Practices Commission uh, requirements. And then we'll be meeting with each one of you over the next few days or a week or so to really define which ones uh, you would like to designate as a potential conflict and then that will drive how we craft the resolutions. Uh, it'll be multiple resolutions to make sure that those members with a conflict don't vote on projects for which they might have a conflict. Um, what we would recommend for this evening's conversation, if there are any projects on the list that the city attorney provided early and, and that comes up as a, something to discuss, we would recommend that that council member would uh, refrain from that conversation. No need to leave the room, but just that you not participate in that conversation. So our next steps, you can see with the check marks, the items that we've already completed, the conflicts of interest review I just mentioned. We have the hearing and adoption uh, coming up here just in a, in a few weeks. And then uh, you'll notice that April 26th is a planning commission review. Normally we would do this before adoption, but scheduling just made that very difficult to do. It's not required that they review before you adopt, but it is a requirement that they do review. And the Planning Commission review is uh, to determine if the projects are uh, in conformance with the general plan. And they're really only going to be reviewing those eight new projects. And we feel very confident that they are. They seem to fit in very well with the general plan. Each one, each project, we always define which general plan goal they support, and each one of them, I think, has a very clear nexus to a goal. So we're not concerned about that review, but we will get that completed as we're required to do so.
So our recommendation tonight is to conduct a study session and uh, no formal action is required and I'm available to take any questions. Council questions? Uh, Councilmember Johnson. Thank you, Mayor. Could we go back to slide five, please? Thank you, and it's, it's not my intention to sandbag you, Mr. Nelson. I, I did get an email about this uh, that I read in, during our break. Um, under broadband, the project costs us $70 million to $90 million. This is a new figure, is it not? It, it, it is, you know, it, 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 the, the CIP project that was in there, uh, we really didn't have a good number on it because we, we didn't really have a well-defined project. The number that's on here, and I apologize, it, it could be misinterpreted, there really was never any consi uh, uh, consideration of spending 70 to $90 million of city money. But this is the number that we are estimating that Sci-Fi will be spending in what they're doing. Now, very, very well be, as you well know, a council has directed a broadband master plan, which once completed may generate other projects, or one may become more viable or available after we do our traffic signal upgrade. If that's the case, we're happy to add a, another broadband project on there. But I deleted it now because we don't have one that's really well defined, and that's why I took it off. No, I, I do understand why it's defined. I just, you know, the um, when sci-fi came along, uh, what it did was it it uh, killed what we had been talking about which would have been a project at the time that was going to be about 10 or 12 million dollars because the expectation the expectation this is based on the Magellan report mm -hmm. the expectation was that was never that uh, the city was going to build fiber optic to every curb but to get fiber throughout the city to the point where other businesses would would take that not the last mile but the mm -hmm. last uh, the last 50 feet so uh, I think you answered my question on that. If you have more to add, that's fine. I just uh, want to make sure we understand that it's not like we, we shaved $70 million out of our... No, thank you very much for making that point. You're absolutely correct. Thank you. And then could we go to slide 11, please? Thank you. I, I just wanted to, to clear something up about the goal setting and... and accessibility, uh, that the ADA ramps and sidewalks, that, that they're so closely tied. Um, when we talk about accessibility, um, it's, it's so much more than, than, than ramps and curb cuts. Um, you know, I live at, uh, right by Buena High School, and you know, the sidewalks on Telegraph are not passable to somebody using a wheelchair. They're just obstructions. Um, I've been talking about Olive Street. Olive Street has incredibly narrow sidewalks and obstructions as well. And so uh, I just, I want to make sure that when we look at accessibility and sidewalks, that we're not just looking at busted sidewalks and ramps, but that we're also looking at um, those, those other obstacles. And just an observation, because I was, uh, I was over near Victoria and Ralston, and there's a, there's a neighborhood there, and, and I was doing, we were doing the community cleanup. At this point, it was just me, and I met some people, and they, were, they brought up the fact that 
where they live. It's this sort of dense multifamily process, but the only curb cuts are at the driveways. So there's basically one per block. Mm -hmm. And so it makes, they, they can't even cross the street. They can't cross the street to get to the next block. They have to go to mid block and then right in the street for a block's length to get to, to go across the street. And so I just wanted to, to bring that up uh, while we had this slide. But uh, thank you so much for this, this workshop. And those are my questions. Thank you, Mayor. Mr. Mayor, if I, if I may, I, I, I could provide some information. Thank you, Councilmember Johnson. Those are two great things and I think great examples. So when we talk about sidewalks um, and service levels, we have primarily been looking at disruptions and mostly around uh, reducing the city's liability, as we all know. Um, our conversation in Public Works has been around when we look at sidewalks now, we define the service level. That's still a, something to consider, but now also the accessibility part. And although there may be a disruption that doesn't meet our criteria from legal liability, it still is an obstacle to someone in a wheelchair, for example. And so that would be something we want to address. Also, when it, on the ADA ramps, we're looking at not just where do we have them today, but where should we have them? So we, we're looking at three categories. We've got ADA ramps that are fully compliant today, great. We have ADA ramps, they're there, good, but they're not fully compliant. And then we have those locations, like you mentioned, where we really should have them there. And we're looking at all three. Thank you, and if I could just add something real quick. You know, over there by, uh, by Donlin, my wife and I just went through this where we were at uh, the tire place on telephone and she needed to go to the Telemark Business Center. And you're there in this industrial area and there's, there's this whole street where there's just no sidewalks. Mm -hmm. And um, we've, we've got, it's a long-term thing. I really appreciate my colleagues that have really put some focus on this. I especially want to thank you for the, the numbers for um, road repairs. Um, and, and I thank my colleagues as well for a lot of the sound financial strategies we've been doing to make sure that we're going to be able to get ahead on these issues. Thank you, Mayor. Councilmember Campos. So, um, Councilmember Johnson covered a lot of the ADA issues. I want to make sure that you include enough money in this whole program overall for maintenance. And I know you can't predict the weather. The weatherman can't predict the weather. But the amount of rain we've had this year, I think you'll recall probably right at the time I was sworn into council, which was maybe 100 days ago, we spoke about this uh, sidewalk across the street from City Hall and going down. And you had some people come out and shave the bricks and level them. Now they're worse than they were then because the rain, not the ones that were shaved, but other ones, mm -hmm. the rain has gone underneath and they're just seeping down into the, the bricks are falling out. That brick inlay is horrible. And it's also very dangerous in parts of Main Street, not where the restaurants are, but in front of the businesses that are not restaurants. There's, I've seen some pretty dangerous accidents. Mm -hmm. So you may want to inventory that but that said, this whole future program over the next five years will need some heavier maintenance, perhaps, if we're getting this kind of rain every year. Mm -hmm. So getting this kind of rain every year may become common because of climate issues. And, and I know you may not see the same way I do about climate, 
but you've got um, on slide number eight, I believe it is. Yeah, parks and mediums is is not allocated a lot of funding, and um, public art it looks like almost nothing. But the streets and transportation and parks and medians all kind of go together because we more and more need to not have people in the sun. Mm -hmm. So especially where there's no bus shelter, there needs to be trees and shade. Trees capture carbon. So all the cars and trucks and buses rolling by, trees will help with some of the air quality. But more than that, they'll provide shade so our community will automatically become more walkable. So I really want to encourage adding something into this before you bring it back. Maybe plant a thousand trees a year in the empty tree wells, in the medians, and also in the parks. The parks can use a lot more. There's private funding for some of it, and we, I think when Councilmember McReynolds was chair of the Parks Commission, you updated the, the, the tree plan, the tree strategic plan, or I'm not sure the name, but I think that was updated, and I don't think we've moved on any of it since that time. We really, really need to take care of our climate in the city of Ventura, because we're so far behind. So maintenance and climate, and also at least start looking at water capture. Someone brought it up, I think, or one of the speakers during the water workshop, I think it may be as much a public works issue, mm -hmm. especially the flooding we saw. If we capture more water, there'll be less seepage and deterioration in the streets and sidewalks. Mm -hmm. And we're getting hundreds of emails all the time about potholes. So, Thank you for listening. Thank you for preparing all of this. Thank you, Councilmember Campos. If I, if I could respond. Um, for the maintenance piece, I, I completely agree. You know, we're seeing, hopefully we do get the rain. I think we all love the rain. Uh, from a public works perspective, it's very hard on the streets and the sidewalks, as you pointed out. Um, the maintenance money, though, we don't uh, address that in our CIP. So that will be done through the annual budgets in that process. Uh, but we do look at the investment in the infrastructure. Completely agree with you on the trees. However, they're not considered part of the CIP. Those are handled mostly through the parks program. And it really has to do more with what's a depreciable asset than the way that finance accounts for it as to what actually makes it into the CIP. But definitely investments we need to make. And I know uh, uh, Ms. O'Connor in parks is always looking at planting more trees and, and has an annual plan for doing that. Um, so it, don't, don't you work with parks? We do. With, so when we do, absolutely. When we do projects and we find an opportunity to plant trees, whether it be a median or a, or a parking lot or something like that, we'll see if we can coordinate with them for them to actually do the tree planting. Excellent. So we Thank do you. work on that. The challenge in this, uh, this chart is a good example. The water, wastewater, streets, transportation, that's usually all... Well, the water wastewater is enterprise funds or WIFI alone or whatever it might be, so it's used for that. Streets and transportation, primarily it's a grant, gas tax, SBN, SB1, can only be used for that. Those, all those little slices that are left over, general fund or measure own. So we agree with you. We would like to do the work that you just described. It's all good work, but it's competing for those measure O dollars. And 
And the other things that Measure O pays for, that's all good stuff too. That's all things our city needs too. So that, that's always the struggle is where's the priority and where to put those resources. Um, and we look at that routinely throughout the year and then of course at budget time. Thank you. Councilmember McReynolds. Uh, thank you. <clears throat> I want to stay on the theme, theme of trees. Can we go to slide 11? So, and, you know, I admire Councilmember Campos's thousand tree goal a year. My question, a little more small term. So, when we do street sidewalks, ADA ramp, do we install trees as part of that? Sometimes we do. Um, if we're redoing a sidewalk, let's say we're resurfacing a street and we redo the sidewalk and there are tree wells in there and there's an opportunity to plant trees, sometimes we will do that and work with parks on that. Why, why wouldn't we do it when there's an opportunity? I'm sorry? Why wouldn't we? Uh, the, sometimes the, the, the wells are older wells and they're small and they won't support the type of tree that we need. The other challenge that I think parks has is once you get it planted, and it has to be of a certain size for it to really be viable, is getting it watered and getting it through that initial um, you know, establishment period. So we work with parks to identify those opportunities where they feel they can have a good opportunity to plant the right tree and make it viable, uh, and that's when we do. And, but there are some times when we're not able to. It seems like if there's an issue with the street tree master plan, maybe we should be re-looking at that so that we're putting in, if we have a small tree well, I mean, I would hate to see it just not get filled. Or is there an opportunity? I mean, obviously, what, what is the hierarchy? Is it ADA access is the primary thing that has to be? No, actually, a lot of times it comes down to, um, is there enough room for root growth without lifting the sidewalk or going out into the street? Can they support it with watering, like I said? Sometimes the trees get abused by people walking by or the weather or animals or what have you. So, you know, it's not in a very well-protected area. Uh, so making sure it's big enough to be able to withstand that. Uh, I think those are the criteria that Parks looks at. I think just as we consider, you know, streets, sidewalks, AD ramps, bike paths, I think street trees just need to be a part of that discussion. You know. It, it, Every project where we see an opportunity, we meet with parks to see what can we do here for trees. Okay. Uh, slide 12. Uh, so just forward one. So uh, street resurfacing, street maintenance, street 88. So like Councilmember Campos just said, we get 1,000 emails a day on streets right now, obviously with yes. the rain and everything like that. I can't even imagine how many you get. Um, is that what we're going to be discussing at the April 10th meeting? Probably. Okay. So yeah, that will go into much greater detail on that. Okay. So then I'm going to stop that question. And then my last question is I'm serving as the uh, liaison to the uh, port district. And so I promised them I would ask about Navigator Way. <laughs> <laughs> is that in the CIP? And yes. I've had many conversations with them on that. Um, I did indicate to them that. That particular project in the CIP, in the book, we didn't make any changes. Uh, the things that your council approves, you won't see that changed. Okay. But I have communicated to them we intend to extend our project there. Okay. Um, so that, that is in the plan. Thank you. I have no further questions. Councilmember Halter. Great. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, just a couple of things. First is um, 
Uh, I found it humorous, and um, a year ago I had opportunity to go to um, uh, a Disney World in Florida, and they, at the Hollywood Studios there, they actually, how they characterized to make it look more like California is they had broken curbs and cracked up sidewalks and cracked up streets, and I thought, how horrible that they're defining our state that way, right? Mm -hmm. But it is that way, a large part of it is, especially our, our older communities like Ventura. So. Uh, things like, uh, I know we're talking more about this, it sounds like on April 10th, but obviously when it comes to potholes, all the rain, you mentioned that, but things like uh, street functionality, it could be functionally good, but it could look absolutely um, distasteful. I mean, with the cracks and the uh, chipped concrete and the broken curbs, uh, but yet it's functional, it's staying in place. So uh, do we... I would love to see the opportunity for us to raise those standards where we actually say, okay, this is functional, it's going to last another 15 years this way, but it looks like it's a completely unmaintained neighborhood. We have several of those streets in the downtown midtown area mm -hmm. that I think you use addressing. Um, that's more of a comment. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Um, another thing, though, is uh, seeing the broken sidewalks and broken curbs in um, and I, I hope that we're able to continue. I know it hasn't been well utilized before, but I think with the right promotion through our uh, public outreach, uh, getting property owners to use that uh, safe sidewalks program, I think is a really good thing. A lot of people don't realize that the sidewalk is really part of their responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, but getting people to participate to help make sure we improve our city across the board. Um, and then second, our next thing was, do we still have a public art uh, percentage for public works projects. Yes, thank you for bringing that up. Okay. We do. The Art Commission met. Uh, they are reviewing their, um, I'm going to use the word art master plan. I'm not sure that's the right term, but it, okay. but it's actually their art plan identified the projects that are in the CIP that should have an art component to it and making sure we're managing that program per the municipal code. So okay. the answer is yes. Because a, a big part of as somebody that specializes in landscape design, is a big part of the excitement of going through a community, going through a garden, is seeing things that, uh, finding those surprises, mm -hmm. finding those uh, things that identify something that's historic, uh, finding a piece of art or a, a, a poem that is appropriate for that particular building or that particular site. So making sure that we include that wherever we, we can. And then, again, raising the bar when it comes to the level of uh, maintenance and um, of our medians and parks and public spaces. And, of course, with, uh, with us encouraging the removal of grass for so many years uh, for all the right reasons, um, but there is a side effect in that things are got, have gotten warmer. Things, uh, grass was a cooling effect. It was a filtration effect. Um, but the least we could do is fill those tree wells and get the trees out there. Mm -hmm. And if that means working in a partnership with some of the nonprofits, I think that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. okay. Those are my comments. Oh, wait, San Home. Um, any chance we're ever going to have a fix for when San Home floods like this? It <laughs> tends to do it. <laughs> this year, I think it's been like 15, 16 uh, days. That or is a particular annoyance for us as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the answer is yes. The difficulty is, as you know, when, where the water flows out and gets out to the kind of the pond area before the beach. Yeah. Um, the kind of work that we need to do in getting permission from Coastal Commission is challenging. And that's probably our, our biggest limiting factor right now. But we can continue working on that probably. Oh, we are continuing working on that and then just cleaning out upstream a little bit more. Um, 
Yeah, it, it's a definitely a choke point in our system. It's mm -hmm. not one that we've given up on. It's just one that's yeah. really difficult to solve. It's taking longer and more of a relationship building and figuring out who to pay for what. It makes it well. That answer is. It, we know we have to pay for it all. It's just getting oh, okay. getting the permission and we're doing the things that that achieve our objectives, but also um, meet their objectives. Okay, and I did say that was the last one, but there's one more, and that's. Uh, the uh, on the hillside with all there's still several I think it's 200 homes or 150 homes left to be reconstructed but I'm hoping that we have a plan to um, once those homes and the big trucks and um, delivery trucks are gone that we're resurfacing and making those streets look as good as good as new you'll see when we talk about the pavement management plan it's it's in there I think it's out in year five okay, we can always great. move that up but we wanted to wait until the heavy construction was done and you know, we'd hate to go in there and pave it and then you know mess have it, up. it destroyed with exactly. some big so trucks. I know yeah. it's annoying for the residents in the meantime, but that's the plan and we have it in the program. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Councilmember Duran. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, Mr. Nelson, thank you so much for this report. And uh, just a few questions. One of them having to do with Moon Drive and the roundabouts. Um, I got a there's been quite a few people that have said that they are very dangerous for, for them. They're very dangerous. And I was just wondering if, if that, are we looking at that at all down the road? Is that something that we look at? Is that a study that needs to be done to see how dangerous that site is? I just had somebody total their car, I don't know, maybe six months ago or something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, do we know anything? Are we have any plans about with that? You know, I would have to talk to Mr. Herford about that. I'm, I'm not aware of any, um, significant safety data that we have or incidents particularly attributed to the roundabouts. Okay. Certainly just like any other traffic um, issue within the city, if we've got the data showing that there's a problem there, we'll absolutely address it, look at it and see what else we can do about it. Thank you. Um, second question is um, with the Levis Park, uh, the extension and the new development on Johnson Drive and all we're talking about with the Johnson Drive corridor, there, um, you know, the on and off ramps on Johnson Drive, and I know that's a Caltrans thing. Mm -hmm. I was just wondering um, it, how we could move forward on starting the conversation on that because with everything coming in, or you know, j just with even Olivas Park, mm -hmm. um, I know those that area needs to get addressed, and I was just wondering how we could maybe move forward on something, start addressing that. But no, thank you for the question, and, and I agree with you. That's a really, uh, to use a professional term, very goofy on-ramp, an off-ramp. Um, we at the staff level have contacted Caltrans to ask them to look in it. It's not something really on their radar at this point. Uh, if your council did want to take action and direct staff or endorse a letter or some kind of council action asking Caltrans to look at that and, and uh, make some improvements, uh, that, that would be my recommendation, and we think that would be a good move. Thank you so much. I, I apologize. I left something out earlier, although it could use trees too. But <laughs> there are several places where the bus stops are sitting in dirt or gravel. They're not paved. So you could walk up to it, and it may be uncomfortable even, depending on your age. But there's no way a wheelchair can get to the bus stop to get picked up. And because of the ramping system, 
it's a little steep sometimes for a wheelchair to board in the street. And many people in manual chairs can't board mm -hmm. in the street because uh, they can't get themselves up. So, you know, if someone would do an inventory, and I realize it's not a big ticket item, but it, it's a good moment for me to, to express this to you. Inventory the bus stops in the city of Ventura and make sure they're all paved and make sure that the benches, if they're against a wall, are moved out to the edge of the sidewalk enough for a wheelchair to pass behind them. Thank you very much for that. We will have somebody look at that. I, I have a staff member who takes care of all of the transit stops, bus stops, and otherwise, so Excellent. you probably will have a really good idea of which ones need attention. I also want to add, you, you might be wondering, you know, Nelson, why aren't you taking any notes? How are you going to remember this? I do have a staff member who's writing all this down, so, so we, will, we will capture all this. My memory is not that good. So. Um, Deputy Mayor. That was my question. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I, I did have a, a sort of like a similar question as Councilmember Duran in terms of the Olivas Parkway um, area. The, there are like multiple pieces of that project and I think I'm just trying to make sure that everything's still moving time-wise um, as planned or because um, I see different on the work plan of the staff report, there's like different um, pieces of that project listed. And so I j I'm just touching base on that, making sure that um, if there's like any feedback or input that you can give on that, mm -hmm. just as an update, if you will. Oh, happy to, and I apologize, I missed which project you were referring to. Olivas. Oh, Olivas Park Drive, sure. No, it, it is on track. Um, so we are, we've finished the design, uh, the estimates. We've been waiting on a, um, a permit for a Union Pacific Railroad. I think that is, we, I don't think we've received it yet, but we expect to get it very soon. We think we'll be out to bid probably around summertime um, and hopefully begin executing on that. So okay. yeah, we're, we're on track and that's moving forward. Okay, that's great. And then um, going back to the letter that you had mentioned, mm -hmm. um, that's for the on and off ramp for Johnson? Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's something that we could figure out later? Well, if, we if you're interested them. in it, we could bring it back as a recommendation when that, we adopt yeah. the CIP. Can if we your do council that? would like that. That'd yeah. be great. Thank you. Councilmember Johnson. Thank you. I just can't miss this opportunity to bring up Whittier Street and... Um, and, and I'm sure you're, you're aware of Whittier Street, Mr. Nelson. That's my question. Yes, sir, I am, Councilman Bree Johnson. Thank you. We've looked at that. We've done an assessment of the sidewalks. We've looked at the trees. We've gotten estimates on all of that. Uh, it does get into the CIP category with the dollar amount. So it, you don't see it in here yet, but we will be adding that as a CIP. Um, I have one question. Main Street Bridge. Mm -hmm. So... Um, that was part of the federal plan, and we're getting grant money for that, is that we're correct? Getting, yes, sir, we're getting grant money. It really was part of the plan even before the Infrastructure Act was passed. Uh, the bridge is in need of a replacement. In fact, it's, on the, it's in the top five, I believe, within the state that Caltrans wants to replace. And so we already have money to do the preliminary environmental study, preliminary design, pretty much everything you need leading up to uh, bidding out the contract. And so we're, we don't have it, but we're pretty confident we'll receive the construction money when we need it. 
Okay. I don't think I have any other council comments, public comments. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. We do have one speaker on this item, Spencer Noren. Spencer, we're going to move you over now. And you should be able to unmute yourself. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate you. Mayor, council members, city residents, VPD. Thank you so much on this important topic about the capital improvement projects. And I don't know what slide number it was, but I really want to just go to the unfunded, where if you look at the parks and rec and medians, you look at how the unfunded is at 16 to 17%, and we're generally sitting around 1% of the budget. It shows again how parks and rec is not being respected over the years. Can we please have a city council member and the council come to a majority agreement and give me a park improvement somewhere. I'd almost like to take 30 seconds of silence during my time here to think of Community Park, also known as Kimball Park in our community. That remains unfinished. How long is it gonna remain unfinished? How long are we not gonna give the community what they want? with parks and recreation. You talk about bike trails and all these great amenities outdoors, but we can't finish what we start. Looking deep into this budget, under the grant writing for parks, we have $25 million written for West Park. When West Park in the last few years just received the vast majority of close to $9 million in the River Trail Park improvements, plus the skate park. And now our staff says that there's no grant possibilities within Community Park or Kimball Park, or possibly the West Side Pool. I'm just pleased looking for leadership and council to address the situation of parks, trees, medians, and our capital improvements. Thank you so much. And that concludes our public speakers on item 14. Okay, um, any closing comments by council? I don't think I need a motion, right? This is just a study group or? That's correct, Mayor. Okay, uh, Mr. Nelson, thanks again. You're always um, welcome here, and uh, you're one of the best presenters we have in the city. Thank you, sir. I believe I need a motion to start a new agenda item after 10 o'clock. Is that correct? So moved. Do I have a second? Second. Uh, roll call vote, please. Okay, to hear a new item past 10 p.m., go ahead and enter your vote now. Looks like we're waiting on one more vote. Okay, all votes have been entered. Six ayes, and the motion carries. Chief Indaya, the safer grant. Bring us good news. I will do that. Thank you very much. We're going to try. I think we have one updated. Got it. We updated a couple of slides to match what you had printed. So, all right, here we go. All right. 
Thank you for your patience. All right, Honorable Mayor, Council, City Manager, uh, thank you for staying up with us tonight. I know you had a full agenda. Uh, we appreciate your patience as this is a very time-sensitive item. Uh, and I know uh, City Manager Ali Khan uh, communicated that we had to get this to you this evening for consideration. So um, with that, we're here tonight to present information to you regarding the acceptance of the FEMA SAFER grant for Ventura Fire. Uh, with me at the staff table, I have Assistant Fire Chief Chris McDonald. I have our interim uh, CFO, Greg Morley, and I have the Fire Department's Management Analyst, Avery Brunk, who is also our Grants Administrator, uh, and we will be presenting some information to you this evening on the SAFER grant, a little bit of the history and uh, where we are tonight and what we are requesting of Council. Uh, with that, I will hand it over to Ms. Brunk to start the slide presentations. Good evening. The Staffing for Adequate Fire and Emergency Response Grants are one of three Department of Homeland Security grant programs that are specifically designed to assist fire departments, both career fire departments and volunteer fire departments. SAFER specifically is focused on enhancing the, the safety of the public and firefighters. Um, the way of doing so is to increase the number of firefighters and maintain staffing as well as helping the emergency response across communities. So just a quick review of prior action of the SAFER grant. In, in January of 2022, City Council authorized the Fire Department to apply for the SAFER grant for that fiscal year. It was considered fiscal year 21. And uh, we were originally told by FEMA that we would hear between May and September of 2022. Uh, and as you can see, it was a little bit later than that. And in mid-February, just last month, uh, we were officially notified of a successful award of our application uh, which was for 13 FTE firefighter paramedics for the Ventura Fire Department. And then um, FEMA give us, gives us 30 days from literally the moment of notification, which is around 3 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Friday. And FEMA also says, please don't rely on them for that 317. So we're looking at a Wednesday. The latest we can respond is this Wednesday uh, to FEMA uh, to let them know if we are going to be accepting or um, rejecting the grant award. That's how we got here uh, for this evening. So the grant itself, um, the total amount is about $7.6 million over the course of 36 months, which we'll break down a little bit later in the presentation. But we automatically, upon the award, we have a 180-day um, hiring period to hire 13 additional firefighter par paramedic FTEs. Um, this would bring the performance period with a start date of August 8th 2023 through August 7th, 2026. Um, since the grant does cover three years, there's a lot of requirements that the city attorney's office did review and is comfortable with um, the city accepting and being able to um, be able to maintain all of the grant requirements. Um, some of those include completing semi-annual programmatic review reports and quarterly reimbursement requests, which will be in completed by fire department staff in um, connection with finance. Just a quick snapshot uh, to show the impact that this SAFER grant will make on the fire department. Uh, we have a graph here that just shows our sworn personnel, field emergency personnel, and also our calls for service. Uh, this has been seen several times in past years uh, on presentations made by me and past fire staff. 
The reason we went back to 1988 in the graph is that is the last time that the Ventura Fire Department added a full 24-7 unit to its response matrix. And that was when we opened fire station number six near Darling and Wells in July of 1988. Uh, since then, we have not added a full-time resource. We have been able to close and reopen a fire station with a safer grant when we had our recession. And then we have added part-time engines, 40-hour uh, units uh, since then. But a 24-hour unit, this would be one of our goals of deploying uh, these, these resources if the SAFER grant allows us. So as you can see in 1988, annual calls for service was just under 6,000 incidents. And last year we were just over 18,200 incidents. Uh, and staffing clearly is right around the same, never more than 75 uh, throughout those same uh, 34 years of uh, emergency response. This slide's a little bit about what the intent of SAFER is and what we can do with it. Um, basically, to increase the daily staffing of fire and rescue coverage, launch an additional 24-7 engine and a new paramedic squad. Uh, paramedic squad is two individuals on a commercial pickup truck type chassis They're <coughs> responding to mostly medicals, but also a handful of other type uh, rescue calls. Um, this will address our firefighter physical wellness, mental health, and mandated work shifts, uh, reduce unit responses, not reduce the amount of calls that we go on, but to spread the impact and, of those calls out amongst more resources, and to decrease incident collisions. Uh, collisions is defined as uh, if, a, if a fire engine is out on a, on a call for service, if there's a second or third call for service in that engine sector, that's what we refer to as collision that came out of our uh, strategic plan study. And then uh, also to reduce firefighter injuries, um, as the fatigue level goes up, so does the amount of injuries. Okay, so to touch on expenses, uh, we have two vertical columns here with totals at the bottom. Funded by the FEMA SAFER grant are the salaries and benefits of all 13 firefighter paramedic FTEs and also any incentive pays that the city is obligated to pay those 13 positions per the MOU for that unit. Uh, the total amount is roughly $7.6 million over the 36 months of performance of the grant. And then the cost to the city is station coverage over time, there's a PPE startup that's personal protective equipment. The $12,000 is a one-time startup, and then the average per member in year two and three each is probably closer to $750. So the $12,000 is all of their gear when we bring them on to the department. That's not an annual cost. Miscellaneous equipment that we provide to each of our firefighters, any differential pay for a ranked position that's deployed due to SAFER. So depending on what our end result is for deployment, there may be a promotion to engineer and a promotion to captain of our current staff to accommodate the unit, and we would have to pick up the differential pay for those. Recently, council approved an annual physical exam that's NFPA and OSHA compliant. We wanted to make sure, obviously, we're gonna treat these 13 members the same way and then also software licensing for the various software programs that we use in our medical reporting, our fire incident reporting. I'd like to pay a little bit of attention to the first bullet, which is station coverage overtime. I think the term overtime, sometimes people think that means extra work, extra assignments, extra shifts for a firefighter. 
And what our overtime budget is actually for is to keep our fire engines in the stations to respond out to you when, or our community when they call 911. It's not extra, it's to keep our stations staffed. An example of that is if any of these members um, take a vacation day, take a holiday, a family member is sick, they unfortunately get injured and they're unable to report for duty on a normal duty day, we have to have a firefighter mandated to come in to sit in that seat to keep that engine responding that day when someone calls 911. That firefighter would earn overtime because it's not their regular shift. That's where our overtime comes from and our budget is to make sure that our units are staffed 24-7 and responding to calls. And I know sometimes that bears a little bit of explaining to make it clear what that is about and why we have a budget for that built in. It's to cover those units to make sure they're available. This slide talks a little bit about um, when, when the SAFER grant is done at the end of the three years, what our, what our options are. Um, the city can choose to apply for a subsequent SAFER grant to retain all the non-city funded FTEs. Um, the goal would be to absorb some of the SAFER positions into the general fund, for example, one position per fiscal year. If we don't show that we're making an attempt to better our, our own problem, you know, in, rather than going back to the table and saying we need 13 more, if any number less than that, we'll have a better chance of success. If no funding is identified, then fire staffing will default back to the pre-SAFER staffing level. Um, some considerations go along with that on the expiration at the end of three years. Um, applying for a subsequent SAFER grant, requesting all 13 positions will decrease the likelihood of success from FEMA. Uh, staff acknowledges that there will most likely not be funding for all 13 positions by the close of the grant. And continuation of the fire department strategic plan focuses on community feedback regarding additional funding opportunities. We just didn't want this slide uh, to get missed. Being here in front of you tonight is a huge lift for the fire department and for city staff. Um, we did not get here alone as a fire department. So uh, we just wanted to make sure that council was aware of some of the key players on the city team and the collaboration that was made. Um, Captain Kyle Tong and Ventura County Battalion Chief Gene Fong uh, on behalf of the fire departments that collaborated on this. Um, our finance department, obviously our interim CFO, Greg Morley, but also Pam Townsend, Jody Pino, Jason Williams, Daryl Brumley, all tremendous amounts of work and labor to try and get this to you tonight uh, on time and quickly. And then obviously human resources who are very busy as it is, uh, we just like to give a real big shout out to them. Bill Friedel, Valerie Barroso, and Melanie Hanisco got us here this evening. So we just really appreciate the city effort and obviously your support, the support of our city manager. Uh, it's a team effort and we're very appreciative that we're here in front of you with this opportunity. Uh, with that, we, uh, these are our recommendations um, for tonight. This is exactly how we have it in the staff report. The wording is the exact same. Uh, and we're available for questions, uh, clarifications, as is uh, Mr. Morley for any questions you may have regarding um, the city budget and also the finance questions that we worked, again, with that entire finance team to get these numbers in front of you tonight. And thank you for your time. Thank you, Chief. Questions from City Council? Deputy Mayor Sanchez Palacios. Oh, uh, yeah. I just needed a clarification, if you will. Uh, the number, the twelve thousand per FTE. You said seven hundred and fifty. 
What was so, right, I'm sorry. So, so when we hire them, they don't have any gear. Right. And our gear is obviously very unique and expensive, and they have to have a backup set per NFPA. So the startup is $12,000 to outfit a firefighter. Okay. But that's not annual. So okay. that means, like, here's your first, you know, here's your cache of equipment that's yours. And then next year, they have to have it cleaned on a certain basis. They have to have it maintained, maybe repaired. We, obviously, it goes through a lot. It gets torn on right. cars. So we average right around $750 annually, annually after that first year. Got it. Okay. So it's not $36,000 per person for their gear. It's twelve, it's and then, like, seven fifty, seven fifty. dollars Gotcha. And okay. that's part of the numbers that we have in front of you. Perfect. Um, and then, so if there isn't uh, an alternative after the three years, I, I'm assuming you wouldn't wait to apply for the SAFER grant um, once the three years comes. You would be applying for it prior to its expiration, right? Correct. So we would probably be looking, I'd say, right around as we, yeah, as FY25 as we approach that second year of the period of performance. Okay. We would be working with FEMA to know when their application period is, because obviously federal starts their fiscal years in October. Mm -hmm. And so that's, again, that makes things real nice and simple, right? So we have to kind of follow their guide okay. on when our application would go in. But the goal would obviously to be have it in and considered ahead of any expiration so that there's no lapse. Mm -hmm. uh, and we do have some experience in that because it's exactly what we did on a two-year grant back when we, it was funding Fire Station 4. We predicted it about a year in and then ha had it go back to back so there was no lapse in funding and we were successful in trying to keep station four open with a successive grant in a, in a row. Okay. And so the total cost to the city would be approximately $2 million, right? Correct. Okay. Yep. All right. Those are my questions. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Durant. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, thank you for your presentation. My, my biggest question is with 13 new firefighters, um, how much will we be able to decrease over time? The, as I stated, the overtime, it depends on how you look at the overtime. So meaning when we bring on 13 members, and if we deploy those 13 members, and that's the number you'll see right there, is the 1.9 includes those members taking time off. So the, the, the overtime that's associated with them, I apologize if this doesn't make sense, the overtime that's associated with, with bringing on 13 members is not necessarily them making overtime. It's the fact that those 13 members have an employee bank of holiday time, leave time, sick time, FMLA, baby bonding time. And if they choose to exercise those employee privileges of a holiday, you know, or if they're ill, someone has to cover for them. So the reason there's overtime associated is if those members take time off of their regularly scheduled days, the department will accrue an overtime cost to cover them on the days they're not there, if that makes sense. That's why we have an overtime budget. So there are ways we can potentially look at offsetting overtime, but the overtime that you're seeing here is to keep the engines in service, and if they're deployed and they take time off, we have to cover them back while they're off, which will incur an overtime cost. I may not be the sharpest tool in the shed. Sure. So we're not opening up any more stations, new stations, right? And we're not getting any more new trucks. New stations really is what the question is. So we have the same amount of stations. We have 13 more employees. It just 
mathematically, it would, it would just make sense that we'll be able to decrease some some overtime just because because we have more numbers. Correct. We are deploying additional units. That's absolutely part of the plan. So we have reserve engines, just like right now, Medic Engine 7, Medic Rescue Engine 8. Those are reserve engines that were pulled into frontline service when we added the three people to Medic Engine 7, when we added the four people to Medic Engine 8, Medic Rescue Engine 8. Those were additional units. And then what would happen now is if we get additional bodies, some of what we're looking at is adding, making a full-time 24-7 engine not a 40-hour engine, potentially adding a paramedic uh, squad, that's six people that it takes, because it's two, two, and two over three shifts on a, on a paramedic squad, that's 24-7. So those are units that are being deployed that have to be staffed 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to get the effect we're looking for, which is a 24-hour emergency response unit. Does that make a little, so we are deploying units that are not deployed today, with the bodies that we would be getting in the firefighter paramedics. There are some ways to look at reducing mandated shifts um, and everything we talked about in the one goal with fatigue, mandated shifts, and we'll be exploring that for sure with the city manager. Within the parameters of what SAFER allows us to do, that's obviously another big factor. Um, and we're in direct communication with our FEMA representative, Avery is the point of contact for our department to make sure that some of those options are exercisable by the city working with the city manager on how to do exactly that. So it, it's a bit of a gray area right now. We're hoping to get it black and white, black and white very quickly um, with answers from SAFER about what we can and can't do to address that exact issue. Thank you, it, it makes more sense. And um, when you reapply for the grant, so we're talking that we probably can't obviously apply for 13 more, so we'd have to, you know, maybe 10 or something like that, which means we, we would want to budget for, to keep those 13 on, so we'd have to figure out ways to create revenue in order to stay with the 13. Correct, and I think anyone at this table can probably answer that, so if you're getting tired of hearing from me, we can, anyone else can answer, but yes, the, the goal would be Ideally, we can apply for 13. It's just when you talk to SAFER and through FEMA, if the jurisdiction really is in the exact same boat and they see that we do anything else as a city, not just with the fire department, it's looked a little bit of like, well, you're just relying on us for the full boat every time. Right. But if we come back even with a request for 10, we say, hey, we added one each year, we're working on it, it drastically increases your chances going, okay, fair enough, you're not just relying on the federal dollars to do it. So the goal would be to see if there were a way, and then long-term, like you mentioned, that's definitely where we're heading, which you'll hear from me next week on our strategic plan, both you know, within the five years where we are, but also the next 20 or 30 years of our infrastructure and staffing about uh, alternative funding mechanisms you know, in that of like a sales tax measure or a bond of looking at something and what that would do for the fire department to address that much larger issue which we have to look at. All right, thank you so much, thanks. Absolutely. Councilmember Campos. Could you pull up slide five? It's the one not numbered, yes. Yeah. Um, I, my question is related to the, the increase and I realize it's pretty steady except the bump during the beginning of the pandemic. Do you have a breakdown of how many of those calls are fire-related and how many are medical? And then additionally, among those, 
what percentage of each is unsheltered population? I'll answer that as thoroughly as I can, and then if Chief McDonald has any additional, he, he is the heart of the operations of what we do each day. Um, the breakdown for the number of fires is about the same as it has been uh, traditionally. So we don't see fewer fires. We do see more fires, anywhere between four and 500 fires a year. Averages, you know, obviously a little more than one or 1.3 a day. Um, and the reason it looks small, and I know Avery doesn't like pie charts, when we looked at our pie chart from years past, when we were only running 6,000 calls, 500 fires looked a lot bigger. Right. Well, when you're running 18,000 calls, 500 fires looks a lot smaller. It's not fewer fires. It's right. just we're running more of what you're, what you're asking about. So the majority of our calls are still EMS related, uh, but our paramedics work on, I would say, almost 100% of our calls because our structure fires, our car accidents, you know, our, our crimes, our assaults, there's still a medical component, even right. though they're qualified under a different category. So it's almost 100% we use our paramedic training to treat people. Um, we do have statistics on our unhoused population. Um, I believe, I know our percentages, Chris might be able to speak to it. We, we've bounced anywhere from 9 to 13% of our overall incident load involves the unhoused. And we actually have a drop down that we've tracked for a decade now, maybe? About a decade. Um, that, we, that we track it, it's a drop-down menu of our unhoused, if it involves an unhoused individual, uh, and then we actually ask, you know, where they're from, if they're willing to give us that information, or it says, you know, refuse to give, um, so that we know if it's, if it's someone who's come from Ventura and is here, or if they've come from somewhere else. And that number has bounced around, I'd say, over the last six to seven years. The high, I want to say, was 14% one year and we're looking at 16,000 calls. I mean, so it was upwards of 14, 1,500 calls that involved um, unhoused, and then the low was right around 9%. Okay, but it isn't, it really isn't significant in the great scheme of the rise in calls, I think. No, I wouldn't say in the rise, I would say it rose along with the trend. Right, it's pretty steady. It's pretty steady along with the, the same trend line of the other incidents that we go to as Thank that you. has increased. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Councilmember Halter. Great, thank you. Um, so uh, we, we have the engines already. We have the squad vehicles. Um, there's no need at this point to purchase any, any vehicles. Is that true? So that with the engines, we have the two what we call day engines. They work a 40-hour week. Yeah. They work four 10-hour shifts a week. So part of our plan was going to be to combine, roll those together, and then add a handful, three, three positions to make that a 24-hour resource. The paramedic squad, um, we do not currently have a vehicle. We have a line on a used vehicle from one of our uh, cooperating local agencies that hopefully we're going to get our hands on soon. And then as part of our strategic plan, and hopefully through the budget process, we want to order uh, a new squad vehicle for the next fiscal year because they're taking about a year, year and a half to build and show up on your doorstep. But Mm -hmm. um, the squad vehicle is something that we have to accelerate on to get our hands on and get in service. And the reason I mentioned, too, is you have to have the frontline one and then the backup one. So the squad, the, the used one, kind of gets us off the ground up and running. And then that new one, when it shows up, becomes the frontline and the used one we use until it's basically used up. Got it, got it. Is uh, just in our curiosity, do we have, we have one engine that has ladders to it or... 
uh, that's capable of reaching four and five stories? Yeah, so currently we have one aerial ladder truck in service. That's the, the tractor-drawn aerial, the tiller one that they drive in the back. So a few years ago, our reserve aerial uh, burned up. So it caught on fire out of yeah, Station right. 6 and was destroyed. So um, actually next week, uh, we have a group of people going back to the final inspection back in Wisconsin. Our replacement is nearing completion, should be in service in the next two months. So that brand new one will become our main truck that's used every day. The one that's mm -hmm. in service today will go into a reserve status. So we will have a front line and a reserve ladder truck at that okay. point. Just making sure that as housing continues to change in our community that we have the services and the vehicles available to and the equipment to service uh, those needs. Um, as far as um, measuring success with this grant, uh, obviously fatigue uh, is huge, and but I'm not quite sure that's a measurement, I guess, uh, through different um, questions, uh, uh, what do you call it? inventory your, your personnel, but do you have a, other ideas of how we could measure the success of doing, uh, adding the 13 um, paramedics? Yeah, that's part of the grant requirement is to report everything from staffing response times, um, the unit responses, and again, I think, you know, if you remember when we talk, we have incidents and we have unit responses. Right. And so the incident could be a structure fire that has six of our units on scene. You know, the other day we had an incident at Ventura High School. We had six of our seven available units at, at the high school. Um, so that would be one incident, but six unit responses. And part of the fatigue is, uh, as Chris mentioned, right, uh, actually on this slide, if we have two to three more units on the street that are responding to those calls, yep. the unit responses per unit will go down. Right. just mathematically, mm -hmm. so that's part of the fatigue and the burnout issue. Mm -hmm. And then also we'll be monitoring our response times, mm -hmm. uh, much as we have with Medic Rescue Engine 8, which you'll hear about next week. Um, <laughs> but as far as how, what percentage our response times improved, yeah. um, and where and why, and coverage and so forth. So it's all about, we've tracked everything from how many times the station would have been vacant if not for an additional unit, like Medic Rescue Engine 8. We'll be doing the exact same metrics with, you know, we'll call it Medic Engine 7 because that's what's in service today. If that goes full time, mm -hmm. we'll, talk, we'll, we'll be able to track their call volume, what they go on, their response times, and if they were covering a station or respond in an area where there would have been an incident collision, mm -hmm. and it would have come, we're able to, thankfully, we're able to track all of that, and those metrics will tell us if we're making an impact. And then also, um, with honestly, with our physicals that we do now, yeah. there's a very, very thorough vetting process annually for every member that sleep. goes into sleep, apnea, fatigue, insomnia, their mental health, their behavioral health, um, and I think that's where we'll also see a difference mm -hmm. in this initial year where we're going through this improved physical assessment and mental assessment, and then in year two and year three, should we get this and deploy those units, yeah. that'll be something else that's looked at by clinicians, not by us, that Got will it. tell us how our field is doing in, the, in, in burnout, in their mental health, and in, in their home work balance. And I, I know we get noticed of uh, tactical alerts. So would, would that perhaps uh, go down as well then with this? Yeah, so tactical alerts come from police department and, you won't, and that's when they're out of units basically because yeah. of a, a high level incident that they've committed their, their units to. Okay. And then when you get the ones from me where I'm saying we have a large incident that's more to tell you that, you know, for, for your constituents and for community view, whenever they see a lot of light bars anywhere, yeah. 
think there's a grave concern immediately of what's the emergency. Right. right. So it's better to know, oh, there's just a down, not that this is a good thing, but a down bicyclist. That's why you hear sirens and see a helicopter versus is there a brush fire in the hills behind my home. Got um, it. Or like the other day at Ventura High School, it happened to be a, an incident at the swimming pool that was hazmat chemical related, not injury related or high school kids that were, were threatened yeah. by any type of danger. Uh, so that's what those will still come from me Got it. Uh, when we require a large help from our partner agencies, Ventura County Fire, Oxnard right. Fire. Um, that's what you'll get from me is those notifications of a significant incident. Well, I apologize for confusing the two. No, not so, at all. Not <laughs> but at all. I, but I, I thought also when uh, the engine that is servicing a certain area is already on a call and then uh, another engine from another fire station has to fill in for a call, um, what, what do you refer to that as then? There an, you had a name for that as well, I believe. So that's an incident collision. That was okay. what, they, what um, Andy and Diane, when they presented last year uh, for the strategic plan and the operational right. review. And that's what we're hoping, one, to decrease is having what we call stacked calls or incident collisions. And then also it's very dependent upon the our fire captains will notify if they're on an incident that's going to keep them unavailable for emergencies for 30 minutes or more, mm -hmm. they'll notify dispatch and that's when they'll trigger the movement of another engine. Because obviously if we move another engine that way, this area that's is right. now uncovered. And so we do that as little as possible with as little risk to the community as possible. And, and that's basically going to decrease with 24-7 units out in the field. We'll have a lot more coverage because at least a couple of our stations will probably have two units. And that's a real important thing. Is like that was talked about even when we had our community meetings mm -hmm. is I'm not going to come to you as a chief and go, I need 15 stations built. If we have seven stations, maybe someday eight stations, but three or four of those stations have two units responding out of it, that's what's going to make all the difference in the world. Is one can turn right and there's still one in that area that can go out when that second call comes in. And we have all the stats to know exactly where those would go, ideally, if those units per were available. Perfect, Chief. That's all my questions for now. Thanks. Thank uh, Council Member McReynolds. I think uh, Council Member Johnson pointed out that we need a motion after 11. We do. I'll make the motion. Is there a second? Second. All those in favor? No, excuse me. Just take a roll call vote. Okay, all votes have been entered to continue the meeting. Six ayes and the motion carries. Okay, and then I just have one question on slide five, which is, I, I don't know what to do with this information. So you're gonna add 13 and so the gap is still this big? I mean, what, 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 do, what do we do with that? So I think that the best way to describe that is when we presented last year, when we had our community outreach, and when we came with our strategic plan, one of the questions um, that I believe the mayor even asked during the thing was, how did we get here last year? And I think the question was, over time from the late 80s, um, each time the fire department made an effort to add staffing, we're an expensive department, and we completely own that. And the difficult part was to launch a whole other station, it normally takes around nine people to staff a three-person engine that has three different shifts. And that's an extremely expensive, you know, affair to get have a, to have an engine and the staffing. 
So what happened was, as we approached last year, our five-year strategic and action plan, which is obviously totally independent of SAFER, because we had to build that plan assuming we're not gonna get this grant, was we looked at things that were executable over those five years by asking for one position in next year, let's say, and then two positions the following year, where we could do it incrementally because there's no way we can do it in a chunk like a SAFER grant as a city on a city budget. And as we whittle away, that's the only way, in my opinion, we're gonna close this gap, is by slowly, in ways that the city can sustainably achieve adding fire staffing, and then maybe, quite honestly, if we can get a second grant, that's at least a six-year on-ramp to trying to close that gap, not relying on federal funding. But I agree with you. It's been a long time, as you can see. It's been 34 years since you know, we've ever been above 75 sworn personnel, and we've tripled our, our call volume. So what we're doing is we're looking at the calls we're going on, um, but unfortunately, there's probably a few calls we can say we're not gonna, we're not just not gonna respond, we're gonna refer them to the proper source. But when you vet out our 18,000 calls, there's not that many that we can say we're not, we're just not gonna come um, because of the unknowns of the emergency calls that we receive. So it really is about getting our staffing and our resources up and working on things like paramedic squads, which is what the council and what the fire department has pushed for. Um, but as your chief, I said, my, my goal is to add one more full-time engine to get seven, and then we will explore innovation outside of the park. We'll, we'll, we'll look at squads. We'll look, we have, in our strategic plan, we have a community paramedicine unit that could have a social worker and a firefighter paramedic, all things like that to help that gap be addressed in ways maybe that are a little outside the box. So how do I read this chart? As far as I would, I would say that our. Look at 1995 and say that was the last time that this all worked. I would say I don't know that it, I don't know about it working. I think we're doing a really good job with what we have using innovation. No, no, I mean yes. And and, and getting and getting uh, getting creative with how we get to our how we get there with traffic devices and signal changing devices. Are, are and, we looking for no delta? I mean, what, how do I? No, I don't think that it, it's it not, not a real delta. This is just a graph showing, I think, where our incidents have gone and that our staffing hasn't followed in any way whatsoever. And what I think we'd like to see is just a general incline in staffing. And I think even if we got to a point where, you know, quite honestly, if we had, if we had an engine, a squad, and maybe one more truck company, we, we would make a massive dent in the unit incident responses and approach what would be expected of us by NFPA to assemble at an emergency. So I would say this, Andy brought it up in a good way, uh, our consultant from last year, and he basically did a baseball analogy, and he said, we're not trying to build a department that's in the bottom of the ninth, two on, two out. He said, we just wanna be able to make a ground ball play with our own fire department. And what that means is we wanna be able to send four engines, two trucks, and two BCs to uh, first alarm structure fire, which is what Ventura County sends, what Oxnard sends. But when we have a structure fire in the city of Ventura, we automatically need assistance from another agency to meet our assembly requirements for a first alarm structure fire. Not for a big one that gets out of control or anything like that. So it's not so much the delta as meeting the NFPA requirements for assembly is where I would be shooting as the chief to make sure we can assemble our units and still have city coverage when we're on a basic incident. So the next time we do something like this, could we see that? So we absolutely, see where, absolutely. What that means. So sure. I don't know how to 
I'm not sure what this information is telling me. Yeah, absolutely. And I apologize for that. And we can bring it, I think we can bring it in a, in a much better fashion to answer that specific question, to talk about what the standards and expectations are and where we would be much more comfortable achieving that as compared to a call load. We'd be more, definitely be able to do that for you. Other questions? Uh, Councilmember Johnson. Thank you. And Chief, don't take it personally. And I voted no on extending the meeting. I know this is timely. It has to get done. Um, I, I wish that the timely ones that had to get done didn't come at the end of the meeting. Um, I'm tired. So, so following on with that, I, am I correct in assuming that part of the way we've been able to manage this, you mentioned, is, is the technology? Um, as I understand, some of it has to do with, you know, essentially knowing the GPS location of all the engines, which is the best one to respond, and then the technology as well for decreasing the amount of time necessary for doing some of the reporting out. And Okay, great. The, the second thing is we look at this chart. It, it ends at 2021. Um, I know in 2020, in the 2022-2023 budget, we added, I think, four sworn positions. Is that correct? Correct. So we did a mid-year budget adjustment for the two. And then in the current fiscal year, we added two more. For that four, that's when we deployed Medic Rescue Engine 8 in July of last year um, in the new fiscal year. And that's the unit you'll get an update on next Monday because as part of the strategic plan that we deployed that unit. Thank you. So then instead of 75, what would be our number now for fire departments? Sworn staff? 79. 79. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much. Any other questions? Mr. City Clerk, do we have public? Thank you, Mr. Mayor. We do have one speaker on item number 15, Spencer Noren. Spencer, you should be able to unmute yourself. Thank you, Michael. Mayor, council members, city residents, VPD, thank you for hanging in with us, providing safety as always. I want to start off by saying I'm 100% in favor of this grant approval and support the Ventura Fire Department. Also, I would like to note that if we can't have these important topics discussed at a good time, maybe we should act, talk about, again about having multiple extra meetings per month. Councilmember Johnson is tired, which I can respect. I want him fully capable in these tough discussions. So I mentioned it last time, as I was the public comment in the beginning of this meeting, here I am at the very end of again, of 100,000 plus people supporting my fire department. Thank you, Chief for being here and explaining this in such a thorough way and getting our fire department up to speed to what our community wants and deserves as response time, not only the state demands, but our community deserves. And I love the baseball analogy also, Chief, because it goes into the park. You mentioned the number of facilities we can have at one time. My thoughts quickly went to one of the formal items as we're bringing a consultant to look at our DEI, our, our diversity, equity, and inclusion within the city reports. As we know, our fire departments and stations are somewhat old, dilapidated, and inadequate to accommodate our modern culture moving forward, not only with our current employees, but also some of these 13 employees possibly hired. And what a great idea it would have to have our good, new, brand new fire department built at Community Park AKA Kimball Park, that's been in the master plan for over 20 years. I know it's a lot of money. I know we need the fire department also in the harbor. But if we could please start to look at the capital improvement projects and our master plan 
of, com of finally starting and completing the fire station at Community Park. Councilmember Duran, maybe even opening up Ramelli that goes south, servicing our most needed areas in the Montalvo area. Thank you for allowing me to share this and supporting this grant to support our fire department. I'm Spencer Norn. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Norn. That concludes our public comment. City Council, any other comments? I'll go ahead and move staff's recommendation. Is there a second? I'd like to second. second. Oh, sorry. Additional questions? I, I, I do have one question. Who wrote the grant? Uh, that was uh, to Captain Kyle Tong. Uh, was the main writer working with Avery, and we got a little, we got some help from a county battalion chief named Gene Fong. So you had Cap Chief Fong and Captain Tong work on. I want to get it right because I've messed it up many times. Um, worked together and then worked with Avery to get it written and in time um, last year. And that was one of the first texts I got was was from from Kyle Tong the morning we found out that we got so the award. So I, th I think. Um City Council will give you some feedback that they must be the greatest grant writers because about a year ago, I remember you came in and said, well, we're going to ask for 13, but you never get all year. You never get what, what you ask for completely, and we did this time, so hats off to the grant writers, and please pass that on for all of us. If we could take the vote now, please. Oh, I, I, oh I'm sorry. I've been, yeah, waiting. Um, because I, you, know, you all voted to keep the meeting going, so you're going to listen to my comments on this. I, I'd like to thank you, Chief, for, for explaining the issue around overtime. I recall uh, when it was Medic Engine 7 and, and Mike Tracy was sitting in, I think, this seat. And, um, and, and for those of you that don't know, part of the funding for, to make Medic Engine 7 happen was out of funds that had been set aside for overtime. And Mike Tracy was like, more people means more overtime, not less overtime. And so I, I really appreciate that you've got that. Um, and, and just to address some of the issues, I think that Council Member Duran was, was touching on, um, you know, in terms of the overtime, I hope everybody understands that we could hire extra positions that would reduce the amount of overtime, but because of the way pension stuff works, it doesn't really come out saving us money. And so, um, it's certainly something we could do if we wanted to reduce the number of overtimes. Um, I, I just want to point out, you know, certainly I support this motion. Um, that what we're looking at here, are, for me, the big concern are the future obligations that we're, we're putting on ourselves uh, three, four, five years from now. Uh, we all recall what it was like closing a fire station. Um, and and I, I don't want to be sitting on a council that has to do that. The, I will point out as we, as we do this that we're still waiting on the class and comp study and that is going to, we're likely to obligate ourselves to spend a lot more money in two, three, four, and five years. And then also we have the housing element and we committed to a whole bunch of programs that are very expensive. We haven't yet seen what those are going to cost but we're talking again about potentially millions of dollars three, four, five years from now. And so uh, I will support this, but I, you know, I would be remiss if I did not raise that uh, it's gonna, we're, we're asking a lot of our staff to figure out how to, how to keep all of this going. And so with, with that, I'm ready to vote and go home.
Mr. City Clerk, can you make that happen? Thank you. Sure, on item 15, go ahead and enter your vote now. All votes have been entered. Seven ayes and the motion carries. Congratulations, Chief. Great work. Um, while you're transitioning out, uh, do we have additional public comments for the night? Thank you, Mr. Mayor. We do not have any additional public comments. Hallelujah. Um, I, I think, um, Councilmember Halter, you had... Um, I wanted to close this evening's meeting in honor of Lori Flack and Patty Channer. Okay. Thank you very much. Meeting adjourned. Thanks. Nice.